the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Starring Tom Atkins, Stacey Nelkin, and Dan O'Hearly. Seven more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Seven more days to Halloween. Silver Shamrock. <laughs> That's right, guys and gals. We are reviewing the black sheep of the Halloween franchise. And I don't use that in a negative connotation at all. We are talking Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 1982. I am one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me as fucking always is my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snackage Schaefer. When you said Black Sheep of the Halloween franchise, I thought you'd meant <laughs> five, six, seven, eight. Um, or maybe even Halloween ends at this point. Rob Zombie, Rob <laughs> Zombie 2. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Oh, Halloween 3? Okay, is it the Black Sheep? Um, it is, you know what it is? It's the cool uncle. There you go. There you go. It really is. Zach, what is your experience with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch? I've seen it since I was a kid. I watched it when I was a kid. I've watched it countless times since. Uh, I saw it at the Arrow Theater uh, as a part of their Horror Fest one night. And no, uh, they showed Halloween 2 and Halloween 3 one night at the Arrow Theater. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still, to this day, think it holds up for... All the goodness that it is. I love this movie. Is it flawed? Of course it is. But is it way better than, uh, in my opinion, than all the other countless Halloween films? Uh, Yeah, in my opinion, it is. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. Uh, I grew up watching this movie, but it was never one of my favorites. Uh, went for a, probably a period of time without watching it, then revisited it, you know, in my probably early 30s or something, and was like, oh, no, this is genius. This is like a genius level movie. It's not perfect. 
and you don't need it to be. Uh, the biggest glaring omission or, or probably suspension of disbelief that we that you need the pill you need to swallow to get through this film is that uh, there's no such thing as time zones, essentially. You know, like, like <laughs> Halloween night in, is at the same time all across America. That's probably the biggest sort of hurdle you have to get over. Other than that, man, this movie is a dream. I love it. I thought you were going to say the biggest hurdle to get over is that every woman on this planet wants Tom Atkins. I mean, I think that's just truth, motherfucker. <laughs> he must be living a life, must have been sitting back going, man, at one point in my career, literally every single woman in Hollywood that I was in a movie with wanted me, including my daughter, Lori Laughlin in The New Kids. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just, I'm making that up. That's, I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, or man. The new kids, man. Yeah, dude. He, yeah, Tom Atkins pops up in that one too. That was man. That was a lifetime. Tommy ago. <laughs> Atkins, sex machine, apparently. Yeah, dude. And on the documentary, you know, he's on there. He he has nothing but great things to say about this movie. Um, Tommy Lee Wallace was a little bit, I think, disappointed, but I think he uh, he appreciates where it stands now. Real quick, before we get into this movie, I gotta say, the kills are amazing here dude even uh you know even teddy's kill with the drill like you don't see it and it's probably the one of the most gruesome kills in the entire movie yeah just knowing what happens to her that's that's to me that's always my favorite kind of kill in a movie um you know and and just a little bit of a a little bit of a soapbox here in a world full of hating on everything just to hate on everything and there's plenty of things in this movie that are silly or or laughable or you go oh man well that happened the guy was looking at the camera or whatever you know the we we're going to point out we always point out everything we point out on this show however uh at the end of the day there's far greater good than bad for this film and for the people that don't like this movie well Listen to our breakdown and you'll figure out at the end if you still are on that same page or not. This is one of those rare movies where any sort of gaffes in it add to the overall charm of the film. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that, um, again, like there's moments where I'm like, oh, did did Don Coscarelli get the yellow blood idea from this for <laughs> the tall man in Phantasm 2? Because Phantasm 2 came out in the late 80s, I think like 86 or 87, maybe 88 even. It may be 88 even. <laughs> no, it's Nagletooth. No, it's to Murgatroyd. <laughs> you can tell um, we're both, we were both uh, <laughs> cartoon fans. Jesus that was Hanna-Barbera, right? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Snaggletooth. Fun fact, he sounds like my brother-in-law. Oh, <laughs> dear. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> no, sna- your own Snaggletooth derailed you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, my, oh, my uh, point you were was the fan- phantasm. So, oh, yeah, did yeah. he get the did he get the green blood from this? Did he did he get the yellow blood? Did he get the yellow blood? Did he get the uh, kind of uh, drone? I know the robots in this, but did he get the drone kind of zombified um, tall man followers? Was that influenced by this? Because the he they wear suits in fan- in Phantasm too. I'm not talking about the dwarves. I'm talking yeah. about the uh, you know his his minions, uh, like humanoid looking minions who very much look like you know Dick Warlock and the other guys in this movie. Um, 
Plus, you got the small town vibe, the empty small towns. The in empty Phantasm. small town vibe. Yep. I I can't wait for us to tackle uh, the Phantasm franchise as a whole. We'll probably do it through. Um, the auteur de force tier on on uh, Patreon, like we're doing Carpenter Factor, I, we'll we'll tackle Coscarelli at some point because I do love those Phantasm movies. I love this idea, and I don't think it exists anymore with internet and cell phones and stuff of just like driving up the coast of Northern California and stumbling upon dead towns where people are just no one's there and it's like a ghost town, but in modern times. I always just thought that yeah. was a very eerie, eerie thing. Yeah. Um... You know, for me, it was always when I was playing with my toys back in the 80s with my action figures. I didn't have like a whole, you know how some kids had like 20 stormtroopers, right? Yeah. I had like one stormtrooper or they had like 20 G.I. Joe, uh, like Cobra soldiers, right? I had like one soldier. So it was more desolate. And watching these movies and love at, at at the age of playing toys, um... You know, I made like desolate towns and empty towns because that's the way I play. That's the what that's what I had with my figures. Like I had six people. I didn't have, you know, thousands of people walking around. (laughs) I think you and I were very similar in that regard. My imagination had to fill in the ranks of uh, all the other Cobra Troopers because I only had one. (laughs) Yeah, I always I knew one or two kids that had a bunch and I'm like, you're so spoiled. Yeah. You don't even know it. So much for your lack. Now you have a lack of imagination. Oh, where's your imagination? (laughs) We win, buddy. We win. Our imagination grew. (laughs) Our imagination wins. That girl over there, she's my girl. That's your imagination. (laughs) I know. And I win. And it wins. (laughs) Now, I will say, after having rewatched Halloween 2... Uh, for the Carpenter Factor, Zach and I covered that, I believe, last month or the month before. Last uh, month. Yeah, there you go. Um, it had been a while, long, long time since I'd seen Halloween 2 with our, our boy Dick Warlock as the shape. Uh, we'll see him again in this movie without the mask on. But looking back on it now, and having seen Halloween a million times, I watch it every year. So I got that in my head fresh. Then you got Halloween 2. We both agreed that we liked stuff that was happening in it. And, of course, go check out the Carpenter Factor to hear the whole thing. But I like that they introduced the Samhain aspect with just the words on the on the blackboard in Halloween 2. And then it kind of gives you a springboard for Halloween 3 where they really dive even deeper into Samhain and everything, a.k.a. Samhain, the, which is All Hallows' Eve and the celebration of Halloween and everything. To me, looking back... What are we now? Forty, uh, you know, almost forty years later. Oh, if this yeah. is yeah, next year I think it's the fortieth. An- nope, this is the fortieth anniversary, right? Eighty-two. Is it? Yeah. Holy shit! Wow. Okay. So, welcome four- to the fortieth anniversary of <laughs> Halloween Three. Yeah. Season, season so let's re- yeah, let's restart this episode. Welcome to the fortieth anniversary. But um. Dude, looking back on it 40 years later, I think it's a very natural progression of where things went with this franchise. And I know that the movie-going audience voted with their money and and their feedback and everything, and that's why they pivoted back to, uh, you know, Michael Myers. But the idea behind this movie was that every year they would have done a different Halloween movie uh, disconnected from everything else and, you know, kind of 
letting creatives do their thing and then creating an even more spiral of, of, you know, sequels to those movies if so desired. And even Tommy Lee Wallace says, like, on paper, that is such a fantastic plan. That is such a, a fertile plan. He's like, but in reality, this movie comes out and the fans are like, where's Michael Myers? This fucking sucks. And that's the reality of it. You have a good idea, but the reality doesn't always play it out the same way. Well, sometimes the majority gets it right. And sometimes the majority gets it wrong. In this case, they got it wrong, in my <laughs> opinion. Like, that would have, would have been way more original. Look, is it is it Friday the 13th, the series? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, but, you know, that's what kind of... I think they were trying to... The Friday the 13th franchise was trying to do with their thing is taking it a different direction as well. And that didn't work out either. Um, you know, I think Freddy's Nightmares was the only uh, thing that pretty much like tried to deviate, but but still kept the original, um, you know, framework in, in place. It's a, it's, a, it's a shame because I would have liked to see where this went. I, I would have liked to have seen where this went. But, you know, for 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 everyone who didn't like this movie, look at the toy shelves. They've got the NECA figures out there. They have the masks out there. People rock the uh, Fright Rags Halloween 3 shirts all the time. Everybody, you know, you start singing that jingle, that Silver Shamrock jingle. Pure, true horror fans know what that is. Uh, this is a movie for horror fans. This is not a movie for mainstream. Oh, my God, I'm going to take my girlfriend to the movies. and You know, she's going to get scared and she's going to grab my, my knee. No, this is... This is a horror fan. This is a horror film for horror fans. There you go. That's a great way to put it. And you know, Boom. and you also mentioned the fact that ah. <laughs> that now it's like it's so everywhere in the masks. By the way, guys and gals, that was the connection between the guest and how this movie making them both of our our Halloween films. Uh, if you've seen the guest, you'll know that the masks in this movie are prominently displayed in the background of the dance hall and everything, the climax. Um, and the director, Alex Wingard, Adam Wingard? Uh, it's an A. First name is an A. Adam Wingard. Uh, I think it's yeah. Adam, yeah. He has famously said that this is one of his like famous, famous favorite horror movies of all time. And so there was a lot of nods and homages in there. But next week... You're going to hear us interview uh, the two young ladies who who co-wrote TCM Underground, this new book about like the 50 must-see cult movies and all this kind of stuff. And in that conversation, we talk about basically can can the concept of a cult film can a cult movie tr uh, transition into a mainstream film? And I think we all agree that pro it probably can at this point. Is John Carpenter's The Thing a cult movie? No. I think everybody out there has probably seen it at this point. But if you had this conversation late 90s, mid 90s, it would have been a cult movie. I think the same thing goes for Halloween Season of the Witch, man. It's it's right now, it's living its best life ever in the, you know, in the post 2000s because so many people have have, you know, discovered this for themselves, but also so many people like us who run Instagram pages and stuff like that also promote the fuck out of it and more and more people are, are catching on to it. So I'm, I'm asking you, Zach, in 2022, would you consider Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, a cult horror movie or do you think most people have seen it at this point? 
Well, I would add a little caveat to that saying I would still consider it a cult movie because I still think it's controversial in its um, likes and dislikes. I'd say the thing across the board is 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 favored overall. Yeah. You know, and I think it pushes it into the mainstream and everyone talks about it and everyone loves it. That's great. I'm, I'm so glad they do. This one, I think that there's enough people that don't like it. And I think that's kind of what distinguishes a cult. I think a cult movie, one aspect of a cult movie is one that's controversial, like that creates a lot of um, conversation back and forth on both sides, why it's good or why it's not. Uh, Flash Gordon, I think it's a cult movie. Yeah. There's people that love it and then there's people that think it sucks. And I, I'm in the loving it category. But, but you know, for everybody that doesn't, that for everyone that loves something and the people that don't, then like I think that that conversation creates makes it more of a cult movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, I think, who doesn't I, love I, John Carpenter's The Thing, right? And everyone loves The Thing. Even Adam loved The Thing. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> from Blast Adam from shits past. on everything. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and God bless him. God bless you, Adam. But uh, I think I think The Thing is a mainstream, legit film now. Ten years ago, maybe still would have been considered more of a cult movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Halloween three is still a cult movie, but it's like, you know, teetering it's, it's gaining an audience. I think it's gaining, so. I don't think it would be as popular as it is if the franchise had stopped. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. If it ended at like, you know, parts five or six or something like that. Yeah. I know what you mean. It, it probably not, but you bring up a good point, man, go to the stores right now, go to target, you know, and you'll find the NECA toys and everything. There's just the, these masks are iconic and I never knew <laughs> Tommy Lee Wallace on the, uh, the interview, he said that his little in his mind, one of the things uh, was that they were the Halloween three, meaning the name of the movie is Halloween three. But is in his head, it's like it's representing the three masks. And he, and oh, he nice. says he said, if like, you know, if, if maybe if Silver Shamrock was real, they would have sold this as the Halloween three pack or something like that. If he was like, he's like it just in his head, that was his own retconning type of thing. But I was like, I like that. I actually really like that. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't I'm, I'm like that. I, I like that. He said that. And one last thing about the masks, uh, basically the producers uh, worked with Don Post, the famous mask-making company, cool. um, for for these masks, two of which, the Skull and the Witch, uh, already existed, and they worked with Don Post's production team to create the, um, the, the pumpkin. I love how vibrant the colors are, but I want to ask you, Zach, which one is your favorite, and which one would you pick... If you were at that age and, and you were in the store to grab it, which one would be yours? The skull. Is that your favorite, though? I know you would pick it, and I'm, I would probably would pick that, too. But my favorite is the witch. I think it looks amazing, but I never would have picked it as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I actually talked to my son, Bodie, about this because uh, he's eight. And next year, I said, we should all do the Halloween masks. And he's like, what's that? And I just showed him the mask. He's like, whoa, that jack-o'-lantern's cool. And like, oh, that's your favorite? He goes, yeah. Cool. You be the skull and mommy will be the witch. I'm like, all right, cool. Poor mom. <laughs> and she's like, what'd you call me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what'd you say? Just kidding. What'd you say? <laughs> all right, buddy. You want to jump into the cast and crew of this beautiful film? Let's jump into it. Man, I'll tell you what, uh, when you go on IMDb and you go down the cast, Stacey Nelkin has an, a, a good headshot. Yeah, yes, yes, she does. She, she has a very, yes, yes, she does. <laughs> it's like, 
it's like, look at me, hire me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So Tommy Atkins, our boy, Tommy, uh, he's popped up. He popped up in the new kids in a very small, but memorable role in the new kids. Of course. Um, But Tom Atkins is, he's one of those horror. He's an icon of horror. You know, if there's a, if there's a Mount Rushmore of villains for horror, uh, there's got to be a Mount Rushmore of heroes for horror, and he definitely would be on there with Bruce Campbell and you know maybe a few others. Agreed. I would. We should do an episode of our Mount Rushmore heroes of horror because so often people talk about the villains. All that's all people ever talk about. Let's talk about the heroes of horror, the people who've survived franchises because there haven't been that many. Because quite often they kill him off. Tommy Jarvis, you know, style. Is, is, you know, maybe one that survived, I guess, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what what would be your like, you know, your your Mount Rushmore of horror? Well, Tom Atkins definitely has to be on that list because he's been in The Fog, Halloween 3, Night of the Creeps. You know, the list goes on and on for the guy's been in a lot of mainstream stuff, too. But he's been a maniac cop, but he's been in, you know, a lot of like a lot of great horror films. Yeah. And he's probably most known for his his horror work, especially Night Night of the Creeps, The Fog and Halloween 3. That's where all of us know him from. And he seems to be very happy about that fact, you know, and I love it. He seems to be very jovial and excited about the horror fans. He's making a great living on the convention circuit. Yeah. Okay, so next is Stacey Nelkin playing Ellie Grimbridge. Once the wife of Barry Bostwick. Yeah, baby. Megaforce. <laughs> yeah, buddy. It's all you. That's all oh, you. Oh, yeah, you know it, my boy. My boy, Barry. <laughs> uh, she's been, I mean, she hasn't been in a whole lot of stuff. I do remember her in the movie Yellowbeard. If you, I think that was like a Terry Gilliam movie okay. or a... Uh, Monty Python, um, uh, some of the guys from Monty Python, I think Graham Chapman, he's from Monty Python. He's in that with Peter Boyle and Cheech, Tom, uh, Cheech and Chong. And, uh, <laughs> well, she also played- actually a really great cast, Eric Idle. And she actually was on an episode of The Insiders, a show that we discussed on TV Obscura. We sure did with my boy, Stoney Jackson. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Go listen to that interview you did with him on $2 Lefe. Yeah, I mean, she she's great. She's great, and um, yeah, she's a lot of fun in this. She's a lot of fun in this, <laughs> and and apparently she had a no nipple clause uh, in her contract, hence why uh, all the creative uh, uh, you know shots and uh, where Tom Atkins puts his mouth during the lovemaking scene <laughs> while his wife is being being killed in the next bedroom, meaning his real wife in in real life. Yeah, I mean, come on. That was wild. We'll talk more about it when we get to it. How about that? So Yeah, how about that? <laughs> how about that? Dan, Dan O'Harely uh, plays Connell Cochran. Okay, bro. And so uh, we all know he's... Know, where do you know him from? We all know he's the old man from RoboCop 1 and 2. And, of course, I love him as that. I've seen him in this a million times, and I fucking love him in this. He's great. And if you asked me six or seven months ago... No, well, actually, no, probably four months ago now... Who he played in Last Starfighter, because I knew he was in Last Starfighter, I would have said, oh, he was the old guy who drove the car and that recruited, um, uh, you know, what's his name? Lance, Lance Guest. Guest. Yeah. Yeah, Alex Rogan. Yeah. But no, he's not, because I just no. watched it with my nephew. I showed my nephew uh, The Last Starfighter. He very much was, enjoyed it. And, that was Robert Preston, by the way. And yes, that was Robert Preston who played that guy. 
I my whole life changed when I realized Dan O'Harely was freaking Grig. And knowing that, watching this movie now for the first time, I could hear him and I could see some of his facial expressions and everything. But I'm not kidding. My entire worldview changed with that knowledge. I never knew that he was fucking Grig. That's cool, man. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's great in that. And for uh, he was relatively the same age as he was in this. And he's, he's older. And he seems so much more spry in yeah. in yep. Last Starfighter. That's what fucking threw me off. I assumed that was just a young guy playing Grig, you know. Um, but. Uh, an added benefit uh, is that uh, he's also from Ireland. So he kind of, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace in the, in the interview also said he kind of actually like kind of understood the backstory of the stuff they were talking about here. So like he didn't have to have it explained to him, you know, and That's then awesome. the, the slight Irish accent kind of added that gravitas to him and to create just, I think one of the best villains on in a movie ever. He is so much fun in this movie. Again, memorable, mm-hmm. Me- very memorable. Yeah, um, I don't. I'm actually not gonna go through much more of the cast. I'm only gonna call out a couple notable people um, that pop up uh, because most of the actors that are in this have like very small roles, or you know, they 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 don't. I mean, we can call them out as we see it if we need to. Yeah, How about yeah. That? I know what you mean. Uh, but Nancy Loomis, aka Nancy Keys, uh, is plays. Well, she plays Linda Shalis, uh, Doctor Shalis's wife, ex-wife. I thought uh, it was Tom Chalice. Or Chalice, sorry, okay. Chalice. And I mean, you know Nancy Loomis from so many horror films. In fact, if you guys are Patreon subscribers and you are a part of the tier where you can listen to the Carpenter Factor, you know how often we bring up Nancy Loomis. If you're not please consider becoming a member of our Patreon community. And you can listen to The Carpenter Factor, where we have been breaking down, well, discussing every single John Carpenter movie. At this point now, we're the next one we're, we have on tap is Christine. We're, we're actually uh, we're going to be recording that tomorrow. Yeah, we're going in chronological order of all the movies that John Carpenter has directed, with a little caveat for the month prior. Um but yeah, Nancy Loomis has been in everything from the beginning to, I mean, she was in Assault on Precinct 13, obviously Halloween, The Fog, um, you know, totally annoying. She's good at being annoying, yeah. I guess is what I should say. And I didn't know it, but at the time she was married to Tommy Lee Wallace. Interesting. I'm all about the uh, <laughs> the relationships this episode, apparently. <laughs> You're all about the relationships. I'm going to call out one more person, then we'll talk about some behind the scenes unless you want to bring anybody else up. But Dick Warlock plays yeah. one of the assassins in this. Dickie Warlock, uh, for everybody that rightfully so, bring up, um, you know, from the last, the director of Last Starfighter, uh, the, the director of so many great movies, but Nick Castle, you know, people are like, oh, that's the shape. Well, in Halloween 2, Dick Warlock is the shape, and he's great. He is. He's a great stuntman, uh, and he's great in this as one of the assassins. Yeah. So I just wanted to shout him out. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, like, yeah, the only drawback for uh, Dick Warlock's portrayal in Halloween 2 is that he, he's, he's kind of a short dude, and you can sort of see that. But other than that, again, listen to our, our discussion. We really, really enjoyed his portrayal of the shape. Yeah, he brings a, a different uh, energy. Yeah. To a you know emotionless 
dude. Yeah, um, yeah right. Behind the scenes, <laughs> the shape. Behind the scenes uh, Dean Cundy's back is the DOP, and it's obvious from the get-go. Yeah. This has his look written all over it. Yep, it definitely feels like a Dean Cundy film, and... Yeah, it's. I, I would say, spoiler alert for our Christine discussion, uh, Dean Cundy was very much missed from that film for me um, as far as, like, working with John Carpenter and everything goes. Yep, agreed, agreed. Um, on the producer side, it's a lot of similar notable people. Obviously, Mustafa Akkad. Uh, We're going to make a movie. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. But Deborah Hill's back and John Carpenter, Dino De Laurentiis, and your Irwin Yoblins, like actually a lot of big powerhouse producers on this production. Yeah, and uh, as far as music goes, we got our two boys, John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. Yep, yep, and uh, I think uh, oftentimes, I uh, part of me is like, this is one of my favorite soundtracks that John Carpenter's done. It's so good, dude. It really, really is. I, I love it, personally. Um, yep. And now the movie does say written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace on on the documentary. He gives a lot of credit to uh, Nigel Neal uh, for for he's like he was like 65 percent of this movie is is Nigel Neal like writing like the, the story wise. So he, he really tried to give him credit for that. But the movie is credited as written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. And Zach, where do we know Tommy Lee Wallace from? Well, he directed the It miniseries yep. for television, um, and, I mean, he's, he's in The Fog. He's one of the ghosts in The Fog, mm-hmm. of course, and he directed Fright Night Part Two, which I, I think is actually a very underappreciated movie, and he directed a movie called Aloha Summer. Yet again, another underappreciated film. I've brought that movie up so many times I, on our podcast. I know I saw that, and I was I was waiting uh, to hear about that. And uh, in a show that I weirdly used to watch, I believe he um, directed one episode of Tour of Duty. Do you remember that TV show? Yeah, Tour of Duty actually just got brought up. Um, a friend of the show, uh, Dylan Lawry, uh, brought up Tour of Duty recently to me that's so weird that you said that because he's like i bet you don't bet you don't own this because on uh two dollar late fees patreon we have why does zach own this and and he's like do you own this and like nope i don't own that (laughs) but tour of duty was a very cool show it was back in the day it's like hbo i think wasn't it Uh, or wasn't it it was like a syndicated show yeah i feel like i feel like it was on yeah tv because i didn't have uh cable when i was a kid so I think I yeah watched it on syndicated TV. Uh, Miguel Nunez is in it. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Should have been on our show, but he flaked out on us. He did. Anyways. He did. <laughs> he did. In our early inception of booking guests on on podcasting after dark. Anyways, Tommy Lee Wallace. Actually, I think Tommy Tommy Lee Wallace d- deserves a lot more credit than he gets. You know, he's he's worked with Carpenter for years, dating all the way back to Assault on Precinct Thirteen. So. Uh, I, I like his work as a director as well. And that's because they, they kind of were childhood friends together and everything. Uh, again, I learned a lot from that 30-minute uh, documentary. <laughs> I, as, as I can tell. I right? Can tell. I'm just like chock full of information. <laughs> I'm also chock full of beer. <laughs> I'm chock full of caffeine. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, yeah, we'll just call out anybody else that sort of pops up here and there if uh, if we have anything for them. But otherwise, are we getting into this? Are we uh, are we gonna have our heads melt? 
Yeah, well, let's let our heads melt and prove the fact that you can be a deadbeat dad, but a savior of the universe at the same time. You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, You happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask. Can I have a mask? Uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it! The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, the night no one comes home. The movie opens with the credits playing over a shot of a TV monitor that slowly reveals a pixelated image of a jack-o'-lantern. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch is written in teal over top the orange-colored scan lines, and eerie synth music is playing. Love the uh, love the credits for this. So do I. It's um, I, th- I felt like I had the Halloween 3 soundtrack, but... I might still have it. I might have it on vinyl. I'll have to go check. Anyways, they like recreated the, that like as the cover art, it's just like that opening. The the magic neon. pumpkin thing. Yeah. yeah so cool. Okay. Yeah. Love so it. So cool. And I love the teal lettering on top of it. Yeah, me too. And a lot of this movie was, it, the, the concept behind it is magic meets uh, the computer age, essentially. Yep. Cut to a shot of an empty freeway underpass at night. The words Northern California, October, Saturday the 23rd, pop up on the screen. A solitary man comes running out of the darkness and up the street. He has an orange latex mask tucked under his belt. The man looks back and sees a car driving up the street as well. He runs into a car junkyard and tries to hide in the shadows, but the pursuing car pulls in after him. The old man tries to run out the back, but a clean-cut young man in a suit grabs him from behind. They fall to the ground, and the young man starts choking out the old man. (laughs) Harder, baby, harder. (laughs) Starts choking. Choke me, choke me. (laughs) The robot's like, choke me. (laughs) The robot's like, he's not supposed to have a boner, is he? (laughs) Why is the wet stain in his pants? (laughs) 
<laughs> they are right next to a parked El Camino. As the old man is being strangled, he reaches for a chain on the ground. And when he pulls it, it's attached to a wooden block that's keeping another car from rolling forward. So it's by the tire. It's under the tire. The old man yanks the block free and the car rolls downhill and crushes the young man in the suit between the two cars. The young man doesn't even try and stop the car or yell when he's killed. The old man with the mask crawls out from under the two cars and runs out back through the junkyard. We see another clean-cut man in a suit get out of the pursuing car and watch him run into the darkness. Uh, two things. One, I love a good countdown. Uh, so this movie has a countdown during the entire time, like what day it is and all that kind of stuff. Love that. Yeah. Um, and also just what a cool, interesting beginning. You know, he's being pursued these guys in suits, we don't know that they're robots yet, but that we know something's fishy because that one guy didn't even try to like get out of the way of the car. Yeah, one thing uh, we talk about a lot on the Carpenter Factor, obviously, actually the main thing we talk about on the Carpenter Factor is the connections between the different movies John Carpenter has made throughout his career. And one common factor that I've noticed uh, we're talking about Christine and we, you know, if you want to know about it, sign up to our Patreon and I'll, and I'll drop more knowledge, but this use of like the, the, the location or the time or just, that's, that to me is very John Carpenter. Yeah. Yep. And the way, like the way it's subtitled and the way it pops up and the way it fades out, it's ex- like John Carpenter uses it almost the exact same way in so many of his movies. Yeah, and I will elaborate more on the Christine episode, but Halloween 3 feels more Carpenter-esque than that movie does. Yeah, I have a I have a good theory for that. Okay. Cut to a small gas station in a thunderstorm and a title card saying one hour later. It's funny, we didn't need that title card. Like, that's okay. I don't need well, one hour that's later. that's the thing, too. Like, I don't think we need these... Some I don't think we need some of these title cards, but it's still, like, a nice novelty. It's fine. It gives you a sense of time and everything. Yeah. Um, we see the gas station attendant is watching a news story on television about one of the Stonehenge stones being stolen nine months ago and still no clues as to how it was done. The stone weighed more than five tons. After the news story, a commercial plays for Silver Shamrock Novelties, promoting three new Halloween masks that are all the rage. All of a sudden, the power goes out, and the attendant hears a noise from outside. He goes to investigate, and the old man with the mask collapses into his arms, saying, They're coming! They're coming! It's, it's kind of, And he kind of does it in a, in a whisper, but you can tell it's 80 yards so they could get the clarity of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, again, those, these are the silly things that just completely endear you to this film. Actually makes me think back to the dad in Assault on Precinct 13 that witnessed the very tragic event and, you know, the way he kind of barely can talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm so overcome with, with like, you know, emotions and everything. Shocking. that I'm just in shock and everything that I, I can't really talk. Um, yeah. But I do like how the, uh, the gas station attendant puts the old man into his truck and uh, leaves for the hospital. Just as we see the clean-cut man in the suit from the junkyard standing in the shadows of the gas station watching them. I love it. It's creepy. It is. Very. Cut to Dr. Chalice, Tom Atkins, walking into, <laughs> into a home with his jacket pulled up over his head to stay dry and two paper bags in his hands. Note that his jacket is not wet. Yeah, but his liver is. <laughs> Touche. 
<laughs> we hear a thunderstorm outside. Chalice calls out if anyone is home, and his young son and daughter come running from the kitchen with his ex-wife, played by Nancy Loomis, a.k.a. Nancy Keys, uh, in pursuit. Chalice apologizes for the bad timing, and she says she's used to it. The kids want to know what he brought them, and he quickly and they quickly dig into the two bags, only to be disappointed by Dad's selection in Halloween masks. Nancy Loomis is always in a bad mood. Every role she's in, she's like always like a poo-poo attitude. She's yeah. like got always got this like attitude about her. She kind of does, and I mean it, it works and everything, and but it, it she does kind of play the same character in every movie, and in this movie, she's it. probably one of the least likable characters. Yeah, I'd say the only movie she hasn't really done that too much in was Assault on Precinct Thirteen, but. Halloween, she's complaining all the time. In the fog, she complains all the time. Yeah. In this, she complains all the time. Like, wow. Talk, talk about typecasting. I mean, I hope she's not like that in real life. <laughs> you know, knowing actors, she probably isn't. You know what I mean? Because, like, how she's always, probably, yeah. always the worst v- villains are always the nicest people in real life. True, true. At least they're divorced, though. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So it, it makes sense in this regard because every interaction is with uh, Tom Atkins, you know, the Mr. Chalice, Dr. Chalice. Uh, so she would be annoyed at her ex-husband and especially the way he kind of treats his kids. Yeah, true. And But they are kind of a little annoying as well because one of them says, Mom already got us masks. And the kids grab their silver shamrock masks and put them on and start singing, Eight more days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. And, of course, Chalice smirks and asks his ex. Uh, I always called her his ex, but I think her name was Linda. Uh, how, she's, how she's doing, but before she can answer, his pager goes off and he has to call the hospital. Linda rolls her eyes and says, Drinking and doctoring, great combination. I mean, she's not wrong in that regard. Meanwhile, he's like, thank God the hospital called. He's like, perfect fucking timing. I wonder, I would almost say, what if he says, you know what, can you just page me at like, I don't know, 855 or something like that so I can get the fuck out of here? Yeah. The the hospital's his wingman. Yeah. Get me out. You know how annoying my kids and my ex-wife are. Yeah. Can, can you get me out of this shit, man? <laughs> Give me a Miller and, like, a girl half my age. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chalice calls the hospital and says, I'll be right in. Then he tells Linda and the kids he has to go. Cut to the hospital, and Nurse Agnes, played by Mady Norman, is catching Dr. Chalice up on the situation. The gas station attendant is still with the old man. He's on a gurney with nurses and a cop surrounding him, and he's clutching onto the mask like he has a death grip. The attendant explains to Chalice and the police what happened. He just walked up right out of the rain. I swear to God that's all it was. I just brought him here. And I get it. He's like, shit, I don't want none of this. As Chalice is talking to the gas station attendant, a commercial for Silver Shamrock starts playing on the TV in the hospital. This startles the old man awake, and he starts saying... They're coming to kill us, all of us. The the gas station attendant uses this as his cue to run away. (laughs) Outside, we see the clean-cut man in the... I don't blame him. I I, I don't either. He's like, I'm not dealing with this shit. Yep. Uh, We see the clean-cut man from the junkyard get out of his car and walk up to the hospital. Clean-cut kid. (laughs) There's a slight time jump, and Dr. Chalice and Nurse Agnes are in the room with the old man. He's now resting in a hospital bed, but is still clutching onto the mask. Chalisk asks, who's next? But she says, nobody. Aside from him, he's, it's been quiet all night. 
Chalice says he's going to take a nap in the doctor's lounge and asks the nurse if she wants to join him. He gives her a pat on the butt and she returns the favor saying, I play for keeps, you know. And you know what? It's a cute moment and I don't think it feels sexist. I think it feels like... I mean, I mean, I know, right? And as far as the barometers go, and Zach's just like, be careful where you go with this, buddy. But no, I there's something to this that I don't feel feel sexist. You know, it almost feels like I almost get the sense that maybe Nurse Agnes spanked his butt one time first. Like she was the one that started this kind of playful endeavor oh, with him. I'm sure she did. And I'm sure, I mean, look, there was, there was a time when this was considered harmless. It's not considered harmless anymore. Literally every little thing you do is not, is, is not considered harmless. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not that, there's a whole other discussion, but I'm like, who gives a fuck? I mean, Oh my God, but maybe she was offended. Maybe she was offended inside and was, you know, he's in a power position and he, and she doesn't have the right to, to tell her, tell him how she feels. Okay. Sure. 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 Come on. But like, but I think it's played. I think it's played sweetly. You know what I mean. I, That's I, how I feel. It's played. You know, in today's audience, yeah. would tear the shit out of yeah. his character. Yeah. Of course. And, and part of me's like, come on, just get over yourself. But that's what makes Tom Atkins' character of Doctor Chalice so interesting. Is that he's not an antihero. He's not like a bad guy, but he he's definitely a dude, and he's not like a perfect protagonist where he's going to be the most honorable guy in the world. You know. I think people would have a harder time with him than they would a character on Game of Thrones <laughs> because it's this is more uh, modern. Yeah. And that's like, oh, this is that's another world. So it's OK to have a foot fetish and have sex with your sister. What? what? Or your niece or whatever. <laughs> what? But, whatever but oh, how dare you? How dare you allude to uh, inviting your buddy at work and, and have, you know, get get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I are on the same page. I think I'm a bit more vocal, but I think you and I are on the same page. <laughs> I mean, I'm just as I'm, I'm like, I better stop talking because I'm probably going to, you know, incriminate myself. <laughs> there you go. Both of us probably. By the way, I've had my ass spanked at work and before yeah. and, and I'm like, you know, was offended. But look, I mean, come on. Did it scar me? No. <laughs> you were a because you're a man okay sure as they walk by <laughs> we see the man in the suit watching them he starts walking through the hospital looking in rooms until he finds the one with the old man is sleeping in he puts on black gloves and walks in the man in the suit puts his left hand over the old man's mouth so he can't scream then he takes his right hand and he kind of all right he breaks the old man's skull by pinching the bridge of his nose then pulling back and kind of ripping the skull apart it's a brutal death because we see the the old man's feet kicking and stuff like that and the latex mask kind of falls to the ground but let's talk about this kill dude what an inventive kill and also like every kill in this movie it's just hyper brutal you know it's su- super hyper brutal. It's intense. Um, it's a great first kill. It's memorable. Sure beats a knife to the chest. I mean, he could have done that, and that would have been okay. But they were like, nah, let's have him pinch the guy's bridge of his nose and then pull up 
thus breaking his skull, but not, like, ripping his head or anything. So, like, all the damage is, like, underneath. It's just, it's really, it's, it's morbid is what it is. It's twisted. Yeah, one, one, thing, we, one thing we discussed on the Carpenter Factor, um, so a little spoiler for those that are not patrons but maybe are considering becoming one, we do cover Halloween 2, and we give a specific reason why we cover Halloween 2, but I will say the, the, the deaths in Halloween 2 are better than the deaths in Halloween 1 and because they're inventive. Yeah. And it makes it more entertaining. Yeah. You know, so in this, they're highly entertaining, even if some of them are like, wait, why did that happen? OK, sure, sure. But but it's still enjoyable to watch. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I tracked it as pretty much all of these kills are like Mortal Kombat fatalities. <laughs> and this movie's better than Mortal Kombat. Oh, OK. All right, so settle down there, pal. Okay, let's just settle down. Let's not go Flawless crazy. victory. <laughs> Touche. Touche. As the man in the suit is wiping blood off his gloves, Nurse Agnes walks in, sees what happened, and starts screaming. He walks Lordy, Lordy. Lordy, <laughs> He walks right past her and leaves the hospital. The screaming wakes up Dr. Chalice up from his nap, and he runs and out. And by the way, when he gets wake, awoken, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but when he gets woken up from his sleep and the way he staggers out into the into the lobby, so uh, I so realistic. Yeah. yeah Been there waking up for somebody screaming, and I'm like, wait, what? What's, where am I? Is this My baby is screaming. Yeah. <laughs> and it was more just like crawl, call, crying for me. It was not Nobody died. Yeah. It was Snagglepuss. <laughs> Snaggletooth. Help, help me. <laughs> and in the parking lot, the man gets into his car. and Well, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, so Chalice follows him out to the parking lot. Uh, in the parking lot, the man gets into his car, covers himself in gasoline, lights a match, and the car explodes. Chalice watches it all happen. We, see, we hear sirens in the distance. Sure. Great little scene. What's interesting is that scene after it takes place, you see people standing around the car, almost like they thought the camera was like the scene was going to freeze. Right. But, <laughs> so they're not moving at all, but the scene's still going. Yeah. And they're like just standing there very frozen. Like in Monster Squad when um, uh, yes. Dracula and Frankenstein are touching hands and then the camera's pulling back, but they're not moving. But then the people behind them are like the, you remember that scene, Gilman and everything. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. Go check out our Monster Squad review. Yeah. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you, Crystal. Cut to the doctor's lounge later that night, and Chalice is on the phone with Linda explaining why he can't pick up the kids later. Cops, nurses, and firefighters are walking around doing their thing. You can tell Chalice's ex isn't isn't very thrilled with his excuse. He eventually agrees to take the kids Saturday night. A police officer has to use the phone after Chalice and puts down the latex mask he was holding as evidence. Why is it not in a bag? Chalice looks down right. at it and notices the giant silver shamrock plastic button on the back of the mask. Did you notice the fire chief in that scene whose fire emblem on his helmet is a piece of like fabric? Yeah. It's not because it's leather. My dad, my dad was a firefighter. He gave my son, uh, he gave Bodie his fire helmet. That that fire logo is supposed to be like a leather, like a hard, yeah. durable leather or whatever. And it's, it's like, like flapping. It's like flapping it's a around. Piece of paper. <laughs> I know. And I the know. guy like looks 
he looks so out of place. Yeah. And then he's talking to the guy next to him. Like, you know, they're supposed to be, you know, that thing and they do in movies like, or, or, or the Regal Beagle when everyone's having side conversations, but you can't hear what they're saying. Right. Yeah. But they're literally right next to Tom Atkins and he's just moving his mouth. I think you're supposed to say rhubarb, 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 because that's how he makes your mouth move or something like oh, that. Rhubarb, yeah, rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. rhubarb yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so fascinated by background actors and their choices that they make sometimes. The guy's a terrible background actor, I'm just saying. And like the, whoever uh, was in charge of the costumes that day just decided to smoke a doobie and not do shit. Yeah, no, trust me. I noticed it too, my friend. I, saw, I was like, that thing's flapping around way too much. And yeah. Yeah, what the fuck? The that costume designer, fire. yeah, definitely phoned it in that day. <laughs> Cut to a shot of the exploded car still smoldering in the hospital parking lot. Yeah, I'm like, morning. is someone going to clean that up? I know. Or at least put like a police tape line around it or something. <laughs> we see uh, we see it's Sunday the 24th right now. Uh, Chalice, Nurse Agnes, and the police chief are in the hospital room with the old man's body. His daughter, Ellie, walks in to identify the body. So hot. Yeah, she is. She really is. Don't love her hair, but otherwise, she's fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, the hair, yeah. It's it's 80s. It's 80s, you know? It is what yeah. it is. So is uh, uh, Tom Atkins' shoulder pads in his members-only jacket as well. He's got, like, double shoulder pads in the jacket. Like, dude. He loves to suck his stomach in. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Hey, I don't blame him either. He's he's, he's not the youngest guy, you know, and a leading man and everything. And he definitely has like that that old, you know, just that old man body, you know, that just like it's kind of in shape, but not really. It just looks like that 1940s style guy body. Yeah. He probably was very self-conscious. But that's also what makes this movie different and interesting. The fact that we don't have this like hunky leading man, you know. Sure. They could easily remake this now with Timothy Oliphant. Oh, yeah. Oliphant, like the bro. Crazies. Oh, he's great. Love me some Oliphant. All the fans of Oliphant. Yeah, I get him in a sex scene. Mm. Me too. I'll, I'll watch that shit. I'm just saying. It's uh, everybody. I love him. Uh, obviously, Justify is fantastic, uh, but I loved him in Star Wars uh, Mandalorian as Cobb Vanth. I thought he brought a lot, a lot of coolness to that character. A lot of coolness to Star Wars. Me too. Me too. One more time. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so she, you know, the the police chief says we don't really have to do this right now, which I thought that was nice. She's like, let's get it over with. She gasps when she sees her dad, but we don't see it. Um, Ellie asks what happened, and the chief said some crazy man did it, then killed himself in the parking lot right after. Drugs, probably. He says it's being investigated and tells her to get some rest. He'll have some questions for her tomorrow and hopefully some answers. A little while later, we see Dr. Chalice is walking down the hospital hall and he sees Ellie crying. She looks back at him and he leaves the hospital without saying anything to her. Fade to black. And I'll say another thing I like about the story of this. It takes some time for them to like get into like the 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 mystery like right now there's a few days go by at the beginning where you know ellie doesn't bump into chalice you know right away there's days in between i like that it just doesn't go boom 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 yeah me too me too i mean technically let's go boom 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 i mean technically it does for us but not their reality because of the time jumps yeah and yes and yes i do like things that go boom 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 i know you do we fade in and see it's and beep beep (laughs) 
We fade in and see it's the coroner's office. There's a title card that reads Wednesday the 27th. Chalice is asking the coroner's assistant, Teddy, played by Wendy Westberg. So he's asking her what she knows about the guy that blew himself up at the hospital. She says, not much. It's taking a while. He was just a pile of ashes. I know the sheriff thinks he was on drugs. Chalice says that doesn't make any sense. The man was in complete control. He looked like a businessman. Teddy, I love that name for a girl, by the way. Like Larry and Fletch. Yeah, exactly. I love your body, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy says he had to be one strong businessman. You don't just pull someone's skull apart without a little lower arm strength. Know what I mean? Chalice asks her to look into this one by herself as a favor. She says she can't do that. But Chalice insists and she re relents. They make some small talk as Teddy walks Chalice out the door, implying a possible history together. She gives him a kiss on the cheeks, and uh, Chalice is on his way. I like this relationship because you do get a sense that there's a history there. He's got a history with all the women. She's younger than him, too. Yep. Oh, Teddy. Oh, Chalice. <laughs> so... It worked in my, my write-up segue because I said she gives him a kiss on his cheek and sends him on his way, dot, 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 cut to, dot, 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 to a bar for some day drinking. Although we do find out this is actually Friday the 29th. So there was a bit of time then between uh, the previous was when he was at the corner talking to Teddy. That was the 27th. Now it's the 29th. So worked for my segue, not for the movie. Well, yeah, and in all fairness, he, he may not be an alcoholic. He... There is a holiday on the 29th of October. It's day drinking holiday. <laughs> deadbeat dad day drinking day. So if you're deadbeat dad who's divorced from your wife and you don't pay attention to your kids, you get to drink all day. It's it's a it's a holiday. I think it's a national holiday. D B D D deadbeat dad day. DBDD. -D -D. Yes. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Let's make it a thing, guys and gals. October 29th. DBDD. -D -D. Hashtag it, baby. <laughs> Deadbeat Dad Day. <laughs> Good one. All because of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And just it's a picture of Tom Atkins drinking. At the bar on the stool by himself. Yep. And he's like, if I can get residuals for that, you can put whatever you want on it. <laughs> I don't care. Uh... So he is at the bar. It's it's daytime, and guys and gals, if you ever been to a bar in in the stark light of day, it's uh, it's a terrifying thing. But um, he's the only one there with the bartender, and like yeah, it's like having the lights on in a strip club. Yeah. And you're like, oh, Ooh. there's scars on her belly. Yes, <laughs> I'm not joking. Oh, I know. Oh, oh I know. I, trust me, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's like all our new listeners are like, oh my god, they're so oh, <laughs> we're not wholesome ever. So he asked the bartender to change the channel because it's like cartoons are playing. Well, uh, it's like a yeah, and the guy's getting mauled or something. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that cartoon violence that no one ever cared about yet. People had a hard time with all the other shit on TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We see an ad airing the channel he changes it to. We see an ad airing for uh, the the TV like you know presentation of the immortal classic Halloween. So. This now makes it the movie completely different universe from Michael Myers because in this universe, Halloween is a movie. I like that, though. Me too. It's cool. Me too. I think it's really fucking cool. It's not the last time this movie's going to come up in it. Yep. 
Uh, and, but of course, the, uh, the, the airing is also followed by a, a, a special giveaway brought to you by Silver Shamrock. And then the ad starts playing for the masks. So the idea is that on Halloween night, they're going to play Halloween as this horror-thon, which is a great idea, and then play this ad afterwards. And all during throughout this movie is going to be a build-up for this, this ad, this special giveaway. That's interesting. I think I used to do horror-thons for New Year's Eve culminating at midnight like i would watch horror movies up until midnight i was always out and about on halloween night when i would do my horror thons would be when i was decorating the house and carving pumpkins a lot of times the movies i kind of wouldn't pay attention to them but it would always be a constant stream i'd all right, pop in the next one and i have like specific ones that i kind of do to get into the uh, the theme scene to get into the the feeling of things, the Halloween spirit, and actually on wrap up after dark uh, this month, Zach and I are going to be listing our go to Halloween movies to get us in the spirit. So you're gonna want to check that one out. I'm gonna have to make two lists: one with kids and one without, because I can't show my son Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Not that that's on my list. Yeah. yeah. So Chalice protests the station choice, and the bartender changes it to football. Just then, Ellie walks in and sits next to Chalice. She introduces herself to him and says one of the nurses told her she could find him at the bar. I think we all know it was Nurse Agnes. <laughs> Ellie thanks Chalice for coming to her father's funeral. I thought that was cool. Ellie asks if her father told her anything the night that he died. Chalice says, uh, yeah, he said, uh, tell Ellie I love her. She knows it was just a lie to be nice and goes to leave, but Chalice stops her. He says to her, I saw something that night. Your father came in the hospital. I thought he was crazy, out of his mind. He's hanging on to a Halloween mask and won't let it go. What he said was, they're going to kill us all. And in a little while, he was dead. And I don't know what the hell is going on. And then Ellie kind of stares at Chalice in shock. Tom Atkins is so good at kind of like handing out negative news and being like kind of stupefied as to what's going to happen next. He does that in the fog as well. Like yeah. he's so good about, he's so good at that. And um, I like him more like that. I don't like him as much in night of the creeps and night of the creeps. is like a cliche detective, very hokey in my opinion. Uh, like he delivers these lines that are just, they kind of fall flat to me. Cause it's like almost, it's just over the top. I like this Atkins where, He's very grounded. Feels very grounded. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I just watched Night of the Creeps for the first time a couple weeks ago. Uh, thanks to my buddy Bert sending me the Blu-ray. Uh, he's been sending me Blu-rays to cheer me up, calling him Dead Dad Movies. Thank you, Bert. I appreciate them. I have way too many now, and I don't know when I'm going to watch them all. But I watched <laughs> Night of the Creeps. I enjoyed it. I don't think I'm ever going to bring it to pad. I, I get the appeal, but at the same time, I didn't feel the appeal do you know what i mean like i understand why people like it and i did very much enjoy it but it's not going to be a classic for me and i like tom atkins in the fog or this so much more i gotta be honest i think jason lively is actually the highlight of night of the creeps and his buddy who uh, walks with uh crutches yeah i think those two guys are the highlight of night of the creeps yeah i think tom atkins character kind of brings it down a notch because it's like it's 
She's like, yeah, like kind of thrill me. And it's like, oh, come on, dude. It's just it's like so cliche. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then and then they're more grounded throughout. The, they're the ones who are grounded in that movie. And you're like, I wanted just to be about these two teenagers who go, what the f- no one's going to believe us because we're d- like the Fright Night scenario. You know, yeah. I love it when it's more like that. Yeah. Versus. But the people, you know, pop boners for Tom Atkins, rightfully so. Don't get me wrong, because I like him, too. But that's not his best role, in my opinion. I think this has like the, the stop it. It's more memorable than thrill me. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we should we should we should ha- we should hang out. <laughs> we, I thought you were going to say we should do a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Cut to Ellie and Chalice entering her father's store. It's one of those old five and dime drug stores. There's, I miss those stores. I do too, dude. They're called Target now. I know. I know. Target and, and Walmart, Walmart killed the mom and pop five and dime. Uh, we have... We have one that's kind of like famous up here um, called, uh, I think it's called Hiram's or something like that. And we used to go there a lot. And then you found out that, you know, they're they're owned by some kind of crazy MAGA person. You're like, OK, well, well there you go. That's well, probably what know, happens to all the mom and pop stores in 2022. Yeah. And it's a shame because you go into a mom and pop store now to buy Pokemon cards and they're eleven dollars at a at a mom and pop store. And then you can go to Target where they're four bucks or three fifty. And you're like, what? You're like, what am I supposed Come to on. do? You know, you have to mark it up that much. I want to support you, but I don't want to. I, I got to also I have a budget. I, I know, man. I know that's that's the fucking kicker, isn't it? You know, and that's kind of like you. you yeah, I've, I'm the same way with toys. I don't I won't buy something like a Star Wars figure that's on the pegs now for nine ninety nine. I won't go on eBay and pay like fifteen dollars for it when I know I can freaking just possibly get it for cheaper. You know, it's just you can't do it. Sorry. You know, and, and but this is what happened to all the fucking mom and pop stores, you know? Yeah, it's a shame. Ellie says, Papa really loved this place. Oh, my God. Side note. The Papa line. I hate when anyone refers to somebody as Papa. It's it's it gives me it's like fingers on a chalkboard. Thankfully, she says it only like three times in the whole movie. She every, says it too many times. Every, yeah, it's, it's three times too many. I, I mean, don't say Papa. I mean, whatever. Mommy, when people call it, you know, when a, yeah. when a grown person calls their mother mommy. Yeah. 
or or uh, father or or mother father mother and you know what not gonna lie stranger things uh i mean i love stranger things love the newest season always hate it when l calls what's his nuts papa i just I agree I hate it i i totally agree same brain brother same brain Same brain we should we should um, we should have podcasts together <laughs> yeah we should have a podcast together so Papa really loved this place. She called him Pep Pep. <laughs> but business was getting bad. And I like how she goes, I suppose you shop at the new mall like everyone else. I like how Chalice just kind of shrugs. Yeah, the mall. Well, in 10 year, 20 years, that mall will be gone too. <laughs> right? It's fucking wild, bro. It's wild how things come and go like that. Remember the game stores at the mall, by the way? Of course. The fucking cool game stores. Oh, yeah. No, the game, there was one called, what was it called? I'm sure Robert Ortiz would can answer us. Like the Game Master or something like that. Or I I worked at a mall for a bit uh, when I was in college. Uh, I worked at the uh, Towson University Mall. No, no, not Towson University, but just Towson Commons, like uh, by Towson University. I wonder if I actually saw Mike Flanagan maybe once or twice there. Uh, but I worked at a comic book store there, and I was friends with people at EB Games across the way. And it's, you know... Working in a mall is a whole different thing than working in like a strip mall or something. You just, you know, people, you go to the food court. It's just a different vibe, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, mall rats. I just think of fast times. Yeah. I think of mall rats. That's where I immediately go to. Or Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel you. Jeff, feel you. Jeff, feel you. Uh, you know, I think of Clueless. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. By the way, Fast Times was is one of those movies I watched a shit ton as a kid for various reasons. I think we can all figure out. And then I haven't seen it in probably twenty five years. And I know you it's still, watch it again. I know it's good. And it's not one of those movies that I haven't seen because of any reason other than it just just hasn't come across me. You know what I mean? Like hasn't come across my my eyes yet. There's a Criterion that came out that's fantastic. Did you pick that it. one up? Yeah, it's so good. And it's just it, – they're they're like vignettes, really, if you think about it. Because no – yeah, it, it's a – but it's timeless to me. God, right. that opening when Damone is going in the elevator to We Got the Beat, and he looks so cool. And I was so crushed when he becomes like kind of a turd at the end. Yeah, I know. Or, you know, prick. Yeah. So, anyways. So – Ellie says she's been doing some detective work. <laughs> she goes to a book and opens it. She says her father kept excellent records and reads off some entries in his ledger and confirms he was where he says he was. October 20th, pick up more masks. Chalice looks at the silver shamrock display of the three iconic masks and says her father had one of those with him when he came to the hospital. Ellie goes on, October 21st, dinner with Minnie. He never showed up. I think my father ran into trouble somewhere between here and Santa Mira, where they make those. And she kind of motions back to the masks, the according to Tommy Lee Wallace, the quote unquote Halloween three, a little place not too far away. Maybe they know something. I'm not going to go back to L.A. until I find out what happened to my father. Chalice kind of cocks his head and looks at Ellie. And then she gives him this little cute, inquisitive smile. End scene. Weirdly. She wants that D, right? Young love, <laughs> old love, young love. Papa? Papa? <laughs> it's not Papa love. Papa love. Papa love. 
Oh, man. They call me Papa Love. They call me Papa Love. They call me Papa Love. Is that a real song? No, it's Dr. Love by Kiss. Okay, okay. I thought you just completely made it up. And then there's Christine 16. It's Kiss also. Of course, of course. Oh, by the way, uh, the Silver Shamrock theme was designed by using London Bridges Falling Down because that is a cop like a, an open source. There's no copyright to that song, and that's why they could oh. sort of use it. I thought you were going to tell me it was Kiss came up with that. <laughs> no, no, no. Paul the, Stanley. The 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 sound the sound guy and like Tommy Lee Wallace kind of did it together, and he's the one that's singing uh, Eight More Days to Halloween. But he does it. They said he recorded it low, and they did the chipmunk thing where they speed it up. So he was he's like. Eight more days to Halloween, and they record it at a lower speed. And then when they play it back, it's like the Chipmunks, and it sounds like that. Awesome! But that's Tommy Lee Wallace. That's awesome. That's cool. Again, guys and cows, pick up the Shout Factory Blu-ray. I wish it had subtitles, but it has a fantastic thirty-minute documentary on this film. Yeah, Shit Factory does great. I applaud them for their work, but at the same time, too, it's like they don't pull simple triggers. I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of hearing impaired people that now get shafted, you know? So fuck that. That's kind of messed up. Like in this day and age, why can't you do subtitles? They can do subtitles for everything nowadays. And I would like to mention that it's also available on Peacock. So I popped it in because I have a Peacock through my fucking Xfinity or whatever. I think I said Peacock, by the way. Um, but uh, it's through my Peacock. My Peacock. So my, my, my cock that pees. Exactly. And. The Halloween 3 Season of the Witch version there does not have subtitles either. So maybe mm. somebody out there in, in the world can explain to us, what does a, a company who, who imprints these DVDs, what do they need for the subtitles? Can, do they generate them themselves? Or is it one of those things where like if they don't have it provided by the producers or the studio, they just can't do anything about it and they don't add it to it? I don't know what goes into it. All I know is that you and I on multiple occasions have have lambasted fucking Blu-rays that don't have the the subtitles option. Is lambasted the right word? Yes, I think so. We shit on it, guys and gals. I might have not used that correctly, but I Look, I, I yeah, like you, that word. You get the point. Yeah. You get the point. Like or hire us and we'll do the subtitles for it. Yeah. I can turn the volume up and type it out rewind it over and over again like i did with this movie <laughs> yeah shell factor would be like well we can pay you five dollars an hour Ex- yeah exactly and if you want to work for five dollars an hour or free come on over to a podcast after dark we could use the work <laughs> <laughs> cut cut to chalice talking to his ex-wife on a payphone while ellie waits in the car waiting for him he has a six-pack of miller with him by the way i know you got some nostalgia love for that old early 80s Miller Lite can. Oh, man. I So Corey and I are subsequently, like, doing Halloween 3 and Christine within the same, you know, 24-hour period. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the, the beer drinking in the late 70s, early 80s is just, it's very, it's, it's very humorous. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's wild. They call me beer can in high school. Really? <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> No. Call me Tiny Tim. Oh, no. God. <laughs> they call me Silver Shamrock. There Why? you go. That's better. Because my butthole's the shape of a shamrock. And my what? pubes I don't are need gray. To know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Because if you search hard enough, you might actually find gold. the four-leaf clover. Find gold. <laughs> but you got to dig really deep. It takes forever. I'm sure that there's some <laughs> fucking gray, gray-haired bear out there who goes by Silver Shamrock for hey. just those reasons. Hey, guys. Meet me at the... At the Moby Dick, meet me at the Dublin Inn. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love Chalice makes an, makes terrible excuse why he can't pick up his kids. Oh, he's such a douchebag. He's such a douchebag. Like, in this moment, he's he's gonna go have sex with an underage person, and he's got his beer, and he's writing off his wife and kids, ex-wife and kids. So horrible. Like you're supposed to root for this guy. I, I mean, you let it go in, in about five seconds, but still, in that moment, you're like, what an asshole. I know. <laughs> he, he is, but that's what makes this movie so different and sort of char- charming. Uh, he promises he'll be back in time to take them trick-or-treating. He gets off the phone saying he'll call her Monday and hangs up. So, Zach, here's what I tracked that might have been kind of weird. So, Monday will be November 1st. But he was planning on taking the kids out on Sunday the 31st because he says, I'll take them out trick-or-treating. He says he'll call her on Monday and hangs up. So that kind of – I mean, I don't care, but that just kind of is – it doesn't really track. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, the the cut scene was her, him hanging up on her and going, wait a minute. Did that fucker just tell me he's not going to pick up the kids? He's going to – wait, is he skimping out on me again? So it's not a gaffe. It's really him just kind of talking in circles around Linda. Yep. Yep. <laughs> nice. You know what? I'll take that. I'll accept that, and I love it. Yeah, because he's an asshole. Yep, he is. He's an asshole. He's Yo-de-yo. an asshole. <laughs> I park in handicapped spaces. I love and it. You're like handicapped people make handicapped faces. <laughs> I mean, he really is. He's an asshole. He is. He. He's. He's. He. Yeah, if 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 Allie was an Allie, he wouldn't be digging deeper on this investigation. Yeah, agreed. I agree with you. It's because if she's a piece of, you know what. And just because he is an asshole doesn't mean he's not going to try to do the right thing at the end. Like, it doesn't mean he's going to try to be a hero because, you know what, heroes can be assholes too. My heroes have always been, been assholes. assholes. <laughs> Good one. A lot uh, of singing in this episode. I know. We're feeling very, very uh, spry. And, I guess so. Uh, Chalice hops in the car with Ellie and they drive off. An ad for Silver Shamrock plays in the store window behind them. We see Ellie and Chalice driving up the coast and eventually into a small podunk town. I love this scene, by the way, because it's very, again, I, I feel like uh, Phantasm borrowed elements of this. Fanta- or Phantasm 2. Phantasm 1 did not. Phantasm 1 all takes place within the same town. Phantasm right. 2 is really the one that... You know, and in my opinion, it's actually one of my favorite movies movies of all time. That's why I'm kind of referencing it often. Um, it's the road trip movie. So, yeah. you know, what's that show? Supernatural, I think, definitely borrowed Bar- from, from this. Too. Yeah, have or from Phantasm heavily. Uh, I but did this a, borrow from this, perhaps a little bit. Yeah, I mean, everyone is is inspired by other people. Um, I did a back when I worked at the video store. I I just took home all the Phantasm movies and watched them uh, on VHS. And I, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've watched all of them. I like number three a lot. You said that to me before. I mean, I I, I respect that. That's totally cool. Um, two just holds a very warm place in my heart. I may have to bring that to the table to break down because I just love it so much. Okay. That, that'd be great. And also keep in mind, I I'm saying that like, you know, 22 year old me or 20, you know, 20 year old me really like number three a lot. 
again, I'm kind of at this point waiting to revisit that franchise when we eventually get to it here, either piecemeal on the proper show or via the Autour de Force on Patreon and go through Coscarelli's entire catalog, which I would actually like to do uh, because I want to watch, uh, what is it, Survival Survivor Game? Survival Game? Survival Quest. Survival Quest, that's right, with Mark, Mark Ralston. Um, and then I, I would like to revisit uh, all the Phantasms. Um, I, I personally love Boba Hotep. I love, love, love John dies at the end. And you're going to love, well, no, we may or may not love Kenny and company, but David Irons, friend of the show, Patreon, writer extraordinaire. He loves Kenny and company as well. But yeah, what we do on the, uh, by the way, on, on a tour de force, we cover movies we've already broken down on our proper episode. So we can easily do phantasm two on our proper and still cover it in the auteur de force. And I'm with you. I do like this idea of going to this little, small, sleepy town. Um, apparently, this town is very much in real life at the time when they were filming, very much like this because it was so small that everyone was just kind of like watching things and they just had an eerie vibe. And I think it it comes across on on screen. What's the? Did you track the uh, location? I did not, but it, it Lolita, is Lolita, California. That's what uh, Santa Mira. Uh, what you know? The, the actual location is Lolita, California, oh, uh, and then name. Humboldt, Humboldt Creamery was where the novelty factory, Silver Shamrock Novelty Factory, is. So, um, uh, Lolita must be up near Humboldt, which is in Northern California. Yeah, yeah. And this also gave me kind of like fog vibes. Like this could easily, in my head, live in the same world as the fog. Well, again, I think that's why this has this feels like a Carpenter movie in many ways, right? Because it uh, has similar elements. Yep. Yep. I think you're right there. Uh, So Chalice does read some stats on the town. Santa Mira founded in 1887 farming community. After World War II, a wealthy Irishman, Connell Cochran. By the way, I love the name Connell. So fucking cool. He converted it into a toy factory. Silver Shamrock Novelties. Ellie says, Irish Halloween masks? And Chalice replies, in California, you never know. All those wacky Californians. Oh, they're Irish. Next thing you know, we're going to have Taco Bell. (laughs) What? (laughs) Irish Matt? What? Yeah, why why does that matter? Like, why did that correlation, why was that weird for her? I don't know. Because she's white. And, and it makes a lot of sense when you actually hear the backstory of, like, you know, what he tells them later and whatnot. Well, maybe he was right. Maybe he should have obliterated <laughs> three-quarters of the population. I mean, in 2022, I think Connell Cochran might have actually been onto something. So, <laughs> Well, and then but just can, well, then it actually goes along with what we're saying is Tom Atkins is a, is a douchebag, and he probably should have just kept his mouth shut and... <laughs> Screwed like, around on his ex-wife. Well, he's not screwing around on her if they're divorced. So. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I, I think yeah. The, the, Maybe he should have just minded his own yep. business and let everybody die. Yep, the right the right move here. <laughs> that would have been the right. He would have been rid of his kids too, and he would have been able to golf and <laughs> I'm have just fun. Saying. Yep. <laughs> we see them drive around town, uh, past a gas station slash motel, and it's I think it's called Rose of Shannon Motel. Um, and they eventually wind up at the factory. As they do, the town 
looks half deserted, and the only people that are there are watching the car intently as it goes by. Ellie says she Ellie says she feels like a goldfish. Chalice says it's a company town. We also see cameras on top of telephone posts watching them. I want to point that out too that that is something that modern television shows miss the boat on so much. Show like Westworld, right? That takes place in the future. Everything's monitored, but yet they don't have video cameras anywhere. Like you never see them. It's just like they're almost invisible drones. I know what you mean. Like you never see the camera, but yet you'll see the monitors and stuff like that. Yeah. I I always like actually seeing the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Also, too, like you've got characters in Westworld that walk around in the main like facilities, you know, just walking around and not getting tracked by anybody. And they don't call attention to that. Yeah. And then this is like, this makes sense. Everything's monitored. I like it. Just just make a, it, it erases, takes so much uh, criticism away. If you just take that one scene where they're watching everything. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they are. They are. They are. There's a great documentary that shows like all the video cameras in Russia. All the shit that goes oh. down in Russia all the time. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah, look yeah. Uh, YouTube some uh, Russian dashboard cams, and those yes. will be the most harrowing videos you'll ever see. Jesus, Russia's like, a no wild wonder. place. Wild. Wild. <laughs> but I love that. I love that there's video cameras monitoring everything. Yeah, me too. Me too. As they are staring at the, uh, at the factory, Ellie says they need a plan. Chalice suggests they rent a room at the motel and poses a couple of buyers. At least that way they have a place to talk without the whole town watching them. Back at the motel. <laughs> like, I got nothing. Else. I know. So I, I pause and I wait. And you're like, I, I see Zach's look in the face. I got nothing. I'm like, okay. Moving on. <laughs> but I like to give you the time, you know, if you want to say I appreciate something. that. Next. Next. <laughs> next scene. Next. <laughs> Back at the motel, Chalice asks the owner, Rafferty, uh, Michael Curry, if he has any vacancies. So Michael Curry... He he's like billed as number four on IMDb, but he's not in it that much. And I honestly, I, I looked at him, you know, and Zach and I talked offline who we're going to talk about. Uh, nothing. He I don't recognize him really from that all that much. But he's billed as like number fourth build. So uh, it's interesting because I yeah, th- like there's so many characters in this that have like one or two scenes that are memorable on one hand, like, oh, I recognize that guy. Oh, I recognize that guy. But not enough to really call him out. So yeah. it yeah. is interesting. IMDb quite often misses the boat on the way they list people in their movies anyways. Well, I think they're listed the way the credits list them, like as as where they're billed and everything. But I think you're right. right. A lot of times when we do our, our, our discussions, we cherry pick and jump around. We rarely go in the order of billing. Exactly. So... Rafferty shows them to a room. It's cozy. It's quiet. I can't do an Irish accent. I'm sorry. Do you want to try it? Can you do an Irish accent? Hold on. It's it's cozy. It's quiet. And the price is right. It's cozy. It's quiet. And the price is right. That, good. Better than it's mine, my Scottish, friend. more Scottish, but it's more Scottish. Okay. It's okay. As Rafferty walks in before them, Chalice tells Ellie to keep him happy, which is okay, uh, for just a minute. Then he goes running towards the front office. As Rafferty is telling Ellie about the new shower pipes, Chalice checks the guest book and sees Ellie's father stayed there on the 20th. He signs his name and leaves $40 on the counter. 
as Rafferty is helping Ellie with her minuscule luggage, he says, Ah, there's Doc, there's Mr. Cochran now. Can you? How about you give it a shot? Oh, there's Mr. Cochran now. Ah, la da 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 da. Oh, a little bit of temperature, your temperature is happy to. And he waves at the black limo with the tinted windows as it slowly drives past the motel. Ha cha 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 A little bit of shabby for your shabby. I think my Irish accent is probably just a Simpsons version of an Irish accent. Then that would not be wrong. You're right. It's not. It would just be cartoonish. There you go. As this is this is wild. As Chalice is walking back from the front office, he's almost run over by a Winnebago driven by Buddy Comfer. His wife and 12-year-old son are also in the Winnebago. Buddy apologizes for almost hitting Chalice and introduces himself. They're visiting from San Diego. We see the little buddy take his bike and go riding down the road while his mom yells for him to stay out of the street. Little buddy gives her the bird in return. What so, a piece of shit. I, yeah, I, I mean, I have uh, quite a few friends that don't have kids and they're like, and they're not huge fans of kids. And they're like, well, but, but Bodie's cool. You know, I'm sure your, your, your nephew is cool. Uh, and people always say to me, they're like, you know, you're a kindergarten teacher. You must love all kids. And I'm like, no, I don't actually. There's quite a few that I don't like. And and so uh, the motto uh, at my son's school, uh, Bodie School, is uh, one of the mottos is D- don't be um, little buddy from Halloween three. No, will rot. It's uh, will. Uh, there's a saying by the but, but like the mascot or whatever. It says, um, I never met a kid I didn't like, and I want to put an asterisk next to that and say. Except, except because kids are assholes yeah. i was at a beach thing like a school beach thing and i was giving out cookies to all the kids right i had a box of cookies like fresh baked cookies and all the kids are coming up and i'm giving them one kid i give some kids two cookies because they're being so sweet and i'm making a big announcement like cookies everyone anyone want a cookie come get one at the end of the party the very end and i'm like wrapping up this kid comes over. He's like, I didn't get my cookie. I go, I'm sorry. I'm all out. And he goes, what? And just like has a fucking meltdown. And I go, and that's the reason why you never got one to begin with, you little shit. You little fucker. <laughs> I mean, it starts. It, start that, it starts at an early age. Yeah. Be fucking teach your kids to be kind. Yeah. No, uh, Gray Bear is cool. He's awesome. He has a friend that's starting to become a little bit, a uh, little bit of a bastard, and uh, I think he's spoiled. And yeah, don't don't love him. And he's just he's getting worse. It's one of the things he's actually getting worse. Yeah, I, and it does get worse because case in point, you see the people that are, you know, adults in this country or act like idiots. So yeah, exactly. I'm not wearing a mask. It's almost as if they're children themselves. I would love to put a mask on some of those people. A yeah. little silver oh. shamrock in the back. There you go. Yeah, yeah, very much Way so. to bring it back, buddy. Way Good job, buddy. Back. That's why you're a professional. <laughs> Am I a professional? Chalice excuses himself uh, and keeps walking back to his room when he's almost hit again by a car. I love the look on his face. He's like, it's kind of like, I mean, this is like 82, and he's kind of got the fuck me, right, <laughs> from Superbad. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
<laughs> totally. Before he can say anything to the lady uh, getting out, she's already yelling about the damn factory getting her orders all screwed up. She walks nah. right past Chalice while complaining about having to stay in this dump again. Chalice shrugs and finally makes it makes it to his room with Ellie. And by the way, uh, I'll actually she'll be in it later more, and we'll talk about her name and and who she is in in real life and whatnot. But we'll come back to this character that almost runs over Tom Atkins. Come back to this bitch. This bitch. This ex. <laughs> this ex wife. Chalice yells, "This place is a zoo." I love that. As he walks through the door. Ellie says she saw Cochran driving by and confirms that her and he confirms that her dad did in fact stay at the motel on the 20th. She wants to go to the factory and get more info, but Chalice says it's getting late and he could use a drink. I love that motivation. Ellie asks if it's okay that they stay. He says he thinks his clothes can hold out for at least one more day. Chalice, but my underwear can't. <laughs> no, he's yeah. He's got to flip that thing inside out. Chalice <laughs> says that he should probably get another room, but Ellie says that would look suspicious. He says he can sleep in the car if she wants, but Ellie asks, "Where do you want to sleep, Doctor Chalice?" And he's, I mean, I mean, he stands there staring at her in disbelief. The exact same look I would have on my face, and he re- his eyes kind of cross up a little bit, and I'm like. I wonder if there was a moment where she's like, actually, I'm starting to change my mind based on the look you're giving me right now. <laughs> she's, she's like, you're looking like a weirdo. I'm going to I'm actually going to take it back. Uh, but he does say that's a dumb question, Mrs. Grimbridge. And then they kiss. He mouths her. Well, actually, she mouths him, too. Yeah, she does. She, it's a pretty passionate kiss. Good. Good for him. Good for her. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm like his breath smell like nicotine. First, I'm sure everyone's did back in the 80s. Uh, Because I think she smokes, too. Um, We see a few shots of Santa Mira as the sun goes down. Then we hear a public announcement uh, that it's 6 o'clock. Curfew is now in effect. All residents of Santa Mira clear the streets. Is that that's not Jamie Lee Curtis's voice, is it? Uh, So Jamie Lee Curtis is the voice of the operator when he calls the phone. It is. I'm not sure if this is the same voice as the one announcing the curfew, possibly. Yeah, she's the curfew announcer and the telephone operator. Okay, so Jamie Lee Curtis does all the the voice stuff in this. Uh, that's really cool. Yep. You can and you can hear it too if you know it. You can hear it. It's kind of like uh, Last Starfighter with Grig. If you if you know it, you can see it. Yes. You're like, was there a question there? <laughs> Am I supposed to respond? No. This is what happened. This is what happened. the 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 hamster was moving, and then suddenly it stopped. And it like smelled its balls <laughs> and then it went back. And then you were like, yes. <laughs> cut, cut to Chalice leaving the liquor store and walking up Main Street. We see him walking back to the motel through a dark alley. All of a sudden, a vagabond pops out of the shadows and startles him. Hey, I'm a vagabond. <laughs> I know. I was like, you know what? This guy doesn't feel like a like a like a homeless guy. He's a he feels like a vagabond, like an old school like like a bum. You know what I mean? He's a drifter, and someone wants to kill him to get an erection. <laughs> That's a Will Ferrell bit from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> One time, I killed this drifter to get an erection. I'm Neil Diamond. I'm Neil Diamond. <laughs> oh man! Forever in blue jeans. 
<laughs> did you ever see that uh, storytellers that I, he did? I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, that was the era. I watched a lot of Seinfeld during the Will Ferrell era and everything. Oh, God. I think I ripped some stitches. <laughs> Dude, I'm not going to lie to you, though. My favorite Will Ferrell bit is Harry Carey. Hey, hey oh. Norm. Hey, Norm. You, you ever like want to be a hot dog? <laughs> if I was a hot dog, I'd eat myself. <laughs> <laughs> that, that Harry Carey bit, because that wasn't Norm. That was uh, what's his name, and it was right when Norm McDonald got uh, got fired. It was Colin, yeah. Um, and he, he just, hey Norm, hey you Norm, wait, <laughs> shaking and everything. It's great. Love it. Fucking love Harry Carey. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, Will Ferrell. Uh, Will Ferrell's great, man. I got I, I love fucking Will Ferrell, bro. Did you ever see that that bit he did with Chris Kattan where they were Air Supply and they were singing Holiday Love, <laughs> yeah. and then they just start making out. <laughs> I did that bit with a buddy of mine uh, at a karaoke thing. And we just stopped mid mid song. We were about to make out. We didn't make out, but we were about to. And everyone was like, what the fuck are these what two is, doing? What is happening? You're like, didn't you see uh, Saturday Night Live? <laughs> it's a bit. It's a bit. God damn it. It's a bit. It's real to <laughs> me. I just threw up all over my friend's shoes. <laughs> so I will say this. The Vagabond clearly can't see, you know, Chalice walking down. But he does say, didn't mean to scare you. Saw the bottle. Thought it looked pretty heavy. So, yeah, you didn't see the bottle. Uh, I ain't got no diseases. Mind if I have a drink? And kind of like licking his lips. And, and dude, Chalice gives him a swig from the bottle. Then he takes one himself. Ugh. I would never do that. Not in today's day and age. Not even then, my friend. Not even then. Really? You never did the thing where you just stick your wipe it off with your shirt afterwards? Yeah, with like people I know, but not a fucking tramp or a vagabond. Oh, I mean, of 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 course. <laughs> You're like, yes, <laughs> yes. You know what would have made this better though is if it was um, what's his face uh, from from They Live and and uh, uh, sorority babes and slimeball bolorama. Oh uh, yeah. Buck, uh, yeah, but uh, your boy, Buck, Buck Flowers, Buck right? Flower, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the, this this guy was not drunk enough to sort of, yeah, from from um, escape from New York. I do, I would be the president, yeah, when yeah, I had he, this. that would have been even better, yeah, yeah. Uh, as the tramp is leaving, <laughs> Chalice asks him about Cochrane. Do I know anything? He made Santa Mira what it is today, a dried up old pile of nothing. He brought in every damn one of those factory people from the outside. Think he'd hire me, local boy, turn me down flat. Then the vagabond asks for a dollar. Chalice gives him one. All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. See the TV cameras? He's watching you, friend. I can guarantee you that. The guy starts yelling at the night that Cocker can go fuck himself. Chalice tries to stop him, but that vagabond doesn't care. He says this is the last Halloween for that factory of his. He's going to burn it down. He goes walking off into the shadows, mumbling about it being the last Halloween. Last Halloween for him, too. Yes, it is. Cut to the vagabond walking into a shed in the middle of a junkyard. He makes himself a cheese whiz sandwich, then bumps into two clean-cut guys in suits that push him to his knees. He's like screaming, like, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. And then the vagabond is screaming, just, you know, he's just kidding and stuff like that. And then the fucking one of these dudes, like, twists his head and just rips it off, 
fucking Mortal Kombat style Sub-Zero. And I'm like, yeah, this fucking rocks. Every kill in this movie is amazing. Better than Mortal Kombat. Yes, I'll give you that one. Yes, the kills are better than than Mortal Kombat. That's how it works. We keep plugging away for all you people out there. Don't give up hope. <laughs> that person in your life, you want to work it, and you're like, she's going to be mine. I know it. Just don't become a stalker. <laughs> one day, I'm going to make Corey not like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> one day, one day, I'm going to have him submit to my... There's like explosions going off outside, by the way. I thought I heard something. I thought that was like like your elbow or whatever. Is nope, it, that that's was not a big fireworks, boom. is it? Twice. I don't know. You live in a wild town, bro. Santa Monica has become <laughs> absolutely wild. It's only a matter of time before something Jesus, just like flies to the there. window and lands on your lap or something. <laughs> God. Uh, in the motel parking lot, Ellie is walking back to her room when she's startled by Marge. So this is uh, this is the lady driving the car that almost hits Tom Atkins. Um, sh- Marge is played by huh, what an unfortunate name, Garn Stevens, and Garn Stevens is Tom Atkins' ex-wife in real life. Oh, Garn, <laughs> your your face is gonna get blown off. <laughs> And not in the sexual way. I don't want to. Yeah. Poor, poor Garn. Garn. <laughs> what do you think <laughs> Garn is short for? Garnish? She's a side piece. You win, buddy. You win. I've got nothing <laughs> further to go for. <laughs> go out on a high note, my friend. That bit she, ended right there. You win. <laughs> Marge asks. She's the plastic if, parsley. <laughs> Marge asks if Ellie's picking up an order at the factory. When Ellie says yes, Garn, Garn, Marge says she figured because there's no other reason to be in this godforsaken town. Marge then talks a lot of shit about Silver Shamrock. Before going back into her room, Marge shows Ellie one of the masks she brought with her. The Silver Shamrock plastic label, it's like a tab, bigger than a silver dollar, but it's, you know, round, thin plastic tab. says Silver Shamrock on the back. The other side of it has, like, circuitry. Uh, It fell off. Marge uses this as an example of the shoddy work Silver Shamrock is doing these days. They retire to their own separate rooms before going to bed. In Ellie's room, she gets out of the shower. We see some <laughs> hidden heavy hangers from behind the uh, those shower glass. <laughs> Remember, keep in mind, she has a no nipple clause, which means she's okay with showing as much as her breast as she wants, but no nipple. That's a very interesting can't show my areola, but everything else around it. That's right. So in a second, we'll, we'll, we'll have to find out what Tom Atkins does to get around that clause. Uh, and, and Marge <laughs> Don't worry. I'll make sure no one sees it. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> wait, I didn't. Wait. I... <laughs> As she gently cradles his head like he's she's nursing him. Uh, anyways, yeah, we'll get there in a really second. Fucking we- we'll get to that. We'll get in a second. In Marge's room, she's she gets in bed and starts reading her book. I didn't track the book. Did did you happen to see what it was? I actually did, dude. And and I actually didn't do it at the time. I I was scanning through because again, the menu doesn't have a chapter select, so I have to go you know hand by hand. And yeah. uh, one of the chapters starts with her reading. I was like, you know what? Let me see what that is. It's a book by Carlos Castaneda. Uh, Carlos Castaneda was born in 1925 and passed away in 98. He was an American writer, um, okay. starting with the teachings of Don. 
Juan in 1968, Castaneda wrote a series of books that pur purport to describe training in shamanism that he received under the tutelage of yogi man of knowledge named Don Juan Mateus. So he is a, he's kind of an esoteric writer about shamanism and whatnot. I tried to track what the actual title of that book was to see if there was any meaning to it. But I think just if you know who Carlos uh, Castaneda is, it's it's it it does kind of work for the the story that this movie is is playing out. Sure, yeah, it does. That's cool. But yeah, and you have no idea who he is, right? I have no idea. Okay, his name pops up if you are into like the pair, like if you're into like magic and stuff like that. His name will pop up and whatnot. But I've I've never read anything personally. Okay. I and I, sure. Thank you for bringing it up because I almost forgot to sort of mention it. Oh, it's what I do. You're the best. And what you do, you're you're the best there is at what you do. I'm the Chris Jericho of podcasting. Are you going to put me in the walls of Jericho? I am. I'm going to do a lion salt on you. Side note, my favorite wrestling like name of a move is the Frankensteiner, but my second Same. favorite is the Walls of Jericho. I think that's such a fucking cool like name for your move. Yeah, what well, was such a great uh, yeah, I love that name, but he never it was like basically the Boston Crab. But he didn't bring his both legs over. I knew that. So I think my buddy Xair or Luke explained it to me. Fuck, maybe even was you one of these days. Because weirdly, even though I've never been into wrestling, all of my closest friends always have been. So I've always somehow through osmosis gathered information about this thing that I just don't care about. But you know what? Go back and listen to our TV Obscura episode, our all wrestling episode. And they're, uh, they're, they're making a Von Erich movie um, uh, this year right now, I think. Hopefully it'll come out next year. I think that's going to be like the book. Diallo and I were talking about this. It might be like the boogie nights of wrestling movies Very because cool. uh, Zach Efron is in it. Uh, he's one of the Von Erichs. If you don't know the Von Erich family, it is by far one of the wildest wrestling stories there is. In my opinion, there's plenty of wild wrestling stories, but this, this whole family's wild. And the guy who plays the dad in that, by the way, just really quickly, another segue. We've had so many segues. Um, you know that show that was on Netflix, the the Manhunter show, or um, or Mindhunter uh, or something. Mindhunter. Yeah. Yeah. You know the older kind of uh, mentor yeah. cop. Yeah. He's gonna play. His name's Holt McKinley. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, he's playing the uh, the father, the Von Erich's father. Very cool. Fritz von Erich. That's all. Yeah. I'll ch I mean, dude, I'll watch that, man. I, I like a good documentary, you know? And I know you, I know about the Von Erichs. You mentioned them. We talked about them on that TV Obscure episode, and you've mentioned them to me before and everything. And, yeah, they have a, they have a tragic uh, story and everything, but also very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's got, The movie's going to be called The Iron Claw. Oh, cool. And the dude from the – there's the lead actor on this show called The Bear – right now i guess on it's a hulu show it's very popular okay he's one of the von erics um anyways yeah look for that cool so, sorry no that's back great to, back to regular program <laughs> back to tom atkins having sex with uh, someone half his age uh <laughs> but before <laughs> that happens before that happens in the motel office uh oh real quick i just wanted to say that uh that when she gets out of the shower she also kind of like the towel is too high, tiny so she kind of wraps herself ellie wraps herself up in the uh the 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 comforter 
of of the bed, the motel, yeah. which those things are gross. So don't do that, guys and gals. Those things never get washed. This was 1982, so they hadn't gotten fully disgusting yet, I suppose. True, true. In the motel office, Chalice is calling Teddy at the morgue. When he asks if she has anything, she says, Someone made a colossal boo-boo. We've been doing an autopsy on a part of the car. Seat, dashboard, something. Just plastic and metal shavings. Two days wasted because someone mixed up the envelopes. Where are you calling from? Chalice says, Santa Mira. He says he'll call her back tomorrow, and they both hang up. Chalice walks back into his room with a bottle of alcohol and some ice. He sees Ellie sitting on the bed covered only in the blanket and pauses. She stands up and reveals she's wearing a small little black nightie. And they start kissing. Ellie lays back in bed and Chalice starts sucking on her breast. Very like Oedipus-like in the way he does it. And she's kind of cradling his head. And yeah, it gets around the... The nipple claws, but weirdly makes it much more vulgar because, like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't see the nipple, but it makes it more sexual because her nipple's in his mouth. Like, and it's in the actor's mouth. Like, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, he's full on nursing. nursing Yeah. It's disturbing. It's not sexy. While his wife in real life is technically her character's in the next room. Now you know why they're divorced. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Garn. Oh, Garn. Oh, Garn Anderson. There's a slight time jump, and Ellie and Chalice are laying next to each other in bed as the radio is playing. The Silver Shamrock ad plays, and Chalice changes the channel in disgust. Ellie starts making out with him again, and Chalice says, Aren't you just the least bit tired? She says no. Then Chalice asks how old she is, to which Ellie replies, Relax, I'm older than I look. I dated a girl like that once. She's like, More! And I'm like, I, oh, I want to go to I, bed. <laughs> In the next room, Marge, a.k.a. Tom Atkins' real <laughs> wife, is about to turn out her light and go to bed when she sees the silver shamrock plastic button that fell off the mask on the floor of her motel room. It had fallen out when she put her purse down. Marge picks up the button and sees circuits on the back. She gets back in bed and examines it with her hairpin. This causes a short to happen and a bright light to shoot out of the button and into her mouth. In the next room, Ellie is riding Chalice and says, What was that? He says, Who cares? Back, it's just, it's funny because that's his wife. It's his wife. Back in Marge's room, this is <laughs> this is disturbing. Christ. This kill is disturbing. Back in Marge's room, she's kind of like her hands are kind of clawing at her face. They slowly yep. move away, and we see her eyes are blood red, and her mouth has exploded open, and her teeth are shattered. She dies twitching in bed, then an insect crawls out of her mouth and into her hair. Dude fucking third kill oh my god this is this is one of the best yeah the the kills are not consistent they're all over the place like with what the results are or, or how uh, like big they are you know yeah but this one's one of the best ones for sure offhand which one is your favorite i think this one i mean i, I want to say the kid but then after watching it this time around i was like nah, i don't know crickets crickets coming on the mask I'm like nah, it's not that great it's not as great as everyone purports it to be. 
I think I'm I'm with you because I think what really disturbs me about this one is the fact that she's like clawing at her like she's still alive for a few seconds after the explosion happens and she's like twitching and clawing at her face that's that's what I find disturbing about it and that's why this one is also my favorite they're all really horrible one guy you know get his gets his head ripped off his body as he's still alive another guy gets his face punt you know punctured and like they're all brutal as hell but yeah this one's like raw burning and you see it in like full light which is in the effects the makeup effects are fantastic and 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 just to know that you know his her husband is banging with some young girl next door makes it even worse exactly like that would be a horrible way to die if your significant other is you're dying while your significant other is cheating on you in the room next door with someone half your age yes yeah that's rough that's rough and 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 the husband could yes <laughs> i mean come on yeah yeah no i know i'm with you buddy because this works not only like in the movie but it, it may, it's horrible in in the meta as well you know you got fucked up and i just got fucked <laughs> yeah you go cut to ellie and chalice laying in bed the, they're woken up by commotion outside what's a commotion they get up to investigate and see a white silver shamrock van with six clean-cut guys in white lab coats wheel march out on a gurney. Chalice tries to help and tells them he's a doctor, but is ignored by the lab coats. Rafferty says they are taking her to the factory to get the best care money can buy. The van leaves and Connell Cochran arrives in his black limo. Cochran says hi to Mr. Rafferty then tells Ellie and Chalice that it was just a little accident and that Marge will be fine. As he walks away, Cochran asks the lab coats what happened, and one just says, misfire. He leaves, and Ellie and Chalice go back to their room. We see the van and two white cars drive into the factory. Back in the motel room, Chalice says, misfire? What the hell are they talking about? Ellie says something crazy is going on here. Chalice asks if she wants to leave, and she says yes, but not until they find out what happened to her father. My papa. My my papa. 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 Oh, God, I hate it. I hate saying it, and I hate hearing it. I want to find out what happened to my papa. Daddy, do you want to go back in the bedroom? Jesus. Jesus. God. I mean, let's call it out. I know, buddy. I know know where you're going. I know where you're going with that. Who's your daddy? Who's your papa? (laughs) Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something Always watching. Something. Always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. And now, back to the show. 
In the morning, we see the Silver Shamrock Factory blowing its whistle, and a title card says Saturday the 30th. Back at the motel office, Chalice is calling Teddy again. She's been sifting through the ashes and still can't find anything. She's beginning to think someone might be tampering with the evidence. Chalice asks why. She says it was a hot fire, but there would there should be some bone fragments or teeth or something left over. Teddy sees nothing that would indicate there was ever a body. Just ash and car parts. Chalice then asks Teddy for another favor, to find out everything she can on Connell Cochran. Teddy says she will, but it'll cost him some serious dinner when he gets back. And I love how uh, Chalice says, I'm always ready for dinner with you. And I like how she's like playfully, she goes, you liar. Bye. And then just kind of like hangs up. I, I thought yeah, that was I, so I like cute. it too. And he's like, yeah, I am. But yeah, you know. yeah, it's yeah. yeah, that was I love that moment. Uh, Chalice hangs up the phone and walks out of the office. But the camera pans down to reveal a listening device on the phone. Cut to Ellie and Chalice in the Silver Shamrock office talking to a secretary uh, played by Patty Edwards. She has a lot of credits. You know, she was just someone from that time. I looked her up on IMDb, but nothing kind of really jumped out at me. But I was like, okay, cool. You know, she had a lot of credits under her belt, though. She says there must be some mistake. Her father picked up the shipment himself on the 21st. Here's his signature. Ellie asks if anyone remembers the transaction, and the secretary calls in a worker named Red, played by Norman Merrill. He remembers her father. Red says that he loaded his green... Red says that after he loaded his green station wagon, he saw her father heading back north. As Ellie and Chalice are leaving, they bump into Buddy Kupfer and his family. They are there for a tour of the factory. Ellie and Chalice are again about to leave when Chalice stops her as Cochran walks in the room. Oh, yes. I'm going to do all the dialogue just that. <laughs> oh, we're getting canceled. We're getting canceled. I know. Uh, you can't do that. <laughs> we did. We did. Hey, if Simpsons can do it, we can do it. Cochran shakes Buddy's hand and congratulates him for selling more masks than anyone in the country. The whole office claps for him. Cochran goes up to Ellie and Chalice, a.k.a. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and tells them that Marge is going to be okay. She's been flown to a hospital in San Francisco. Then he tells them that the confusion with their order has been straightened out. The replacement order is absolutely free. On me again. Absolutely free. On me. He does a jig and everyone claps and cheers. No, he doesn't do a jig. <laughs> Cochran asks Buddy if he's ready for the guided tour, and Buddy asks if Ellie and Chalice can come. Cochran says he was just about to ask. Ellie says that she would love to. Side note. Least favorite set in the entire movie is this office. It looks like a like a school, not even a library. It just the just the construction, the way it looks, man. It's it's very boring. Yeah, but they're they're about to get to a really cool room. My favorite room in the movie. Okay, very cool. Cut to latex being poured into mask molds by various workers, not wearing gloves, masks, or goggles. Nope. Cochran has explained the processes to his guests. Uh, and I also feel like the factory should be a little bit bigger, too, especially if, they, if it's a national product, you know? Yeah. They end up in a room full of old silver, silver shamrock novelties and masks from years ago. Is this the room you like? 
Yeah, I love that room. I think it's like uh, I want to live in that room. With all those so cool, like old, like '50s style wind-up toys, you know, and metal yeah. toys and stuff. This is the history of it all. It's so cool. Did you notice that there was a, a Tor Johnson mask uh, there, which is yep. exactly the same as the Tor mask from Strange Behavior? Yep, I have it written down in my notes. Oh, dude, I'm sorry, I, I fucking <laughs> robbed you of that one. Mom, it's okay. I robbed you of the fact that Mortal Kombat is not a good movie. <laughs> so, sorry. <clears throat> My bad. <laughs> Buddy tells Chalice all about Cochrane. You really don't Cochrane. know? Co- Cochrane? Yeah. <laughs> you really don't know? Connell Cochrane. Okay, I'm not going to do that every time, but that was good yeah, there. Cochrane is great. <laughs> oh, welcome to the Cochrane's. Cha-cha-cha, cha-cha. The all-time genius of the practical joke? He invented sticky toilet paper. I mean, come on. Oh, you must know. The dead dwarf gag, the soft chainsaw, all his. And before that, he used to make toys. And they wind up, walk past some old wind-up toys. By the way, the dead dwarf gag, I'll take that one, please. I'll take dead dwarf gag for a thousand. <laughs> Alex? <laughs> by, by the way, as a kid, I was a big fan of Tim Conway. My my gateway into Tim Conway was uh, Scooby-Doo, oh, right? The, yep. the Scooby-Doo Adventures or whatever the episode. He, he was um wasn't he, he was um an exterminator in it, wasn't he? He was, yeah. He was great. So because of that, I, I was like, I love Tim Conway and I, I have you I've watched Dwarf. Dwarf on golf and all that kind of shit. Did you watch that shit back in the oh, day? Oh, I watched all that shit. I mean I watched him in with the Apple Dumpling with the Apple Dumpling gang with uh Don Knotts. Yep. And uh he's so funny. He's so funny. All those guys, Harvey Corman from back in the day. I love that era, man. Of, of yeah. like Don, I, I was a big fan of Don Knotts. Like I love Don Knotts, but I actually like the Ropers better on on Three's Company, but I was a Don Knotts fan, so I still liked him on Three's Company, but I'll always yeah. be a Ropers Ropers person. So good. I know. They're so I love them. They make their way to another part of the factory where the painted masks are. Little Buddy wants one and Cochrane gives him a finished orange pumpkin mask that has the silver shamrock plastic button tag on it he says the other masks haven't gone through final processing yet buddy asks his wife what final processing oh she didn't give any fuck she's like don't ask me <laughs> yeah while walking around the outside loading docks buddy asks cochran about the final process connell says just a little bit of this and a little bit of that quality assurance trade secrets you know Ha-cha-cha. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha. I'm the Cochrane. <laughs> yeah, My daughter I'm, is Fanny Cochrane. I am Cochrane Cochrane. <laughs> when Buddy presses further, Cochrane says that part of the inspection process involves volatile, co- involves volatile chemicals. He wouldn't want to put anyone in danger. Buddy relents. As they walk away from Chalice, we hear Cochrane invite Buddy and his family over to breakfast tomorrow. He wants his feedback on some new ads and other sales materials. We see Buddy's wife and Ellie are talking in the loading area. Chalice starts casually looking around and sees clean-cut men in business suits standing around the factory like guards. Chalice grabs Eddie and says, Darling, I think it's time we are going. And they start walking through the factory lot. Ellie asks what's up, and he says uh, he just saw a couple of men that look strangely familiar. And there's another one. They look an awful lot like the man that killed your father. 
Just then, a garage door opens so a forklift can roll out, but it also reveals Ellie's dad's car is in there. It's half under a tarp, but she recognizes it and goes running over. Chalice tries to stop her, but the guards block her from entering. Buddy and Cochran see this, and Cochran looks at him and, stare and says, Trade secrets. Ellie walks back to Chalice, and he holds her. Now, Zach, people keep saying, oh, there's a DeLorean in uh, in Cochran's, like somewhere in this movie in Cochran's factory. I watched this movie twice, once to break it down, once for fun. I never saw it once. The only car I saw was Ellie's dad's. It's like in the, what was the movie we just watched? And they said, oh, it's, oh, and Werewolf. Mm. And, and when we were talking about Werewolf and uh, what's his face from? Chuck Connors. So. No, the from uh, Silver Bullet and People Under the Stairs. Oh, and, Everett McGill. Yeah, and he's in that first episode. I don't know. Maybe you know, it's uh, the rumor just got bigger over. I didn't see it. I did. Yeah, personally, I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't either, and I didn't see Everett McGill and, and Werewolf either. Um, at least not in the pilot. If y'all find it, screenshot it and send it to us. Yeah, please do. Yeah, let us know if Everett McGill is in it. Um, burn in hell go listen to our uh people under the stairs review that was like epic review by the way it took that was a long one yeah that was good though thank you cut to the, cut to the motel room and ellie says that she knows what she saw chalice says it's time to call in the marines she says that she wants to leave and chalice agrees he just needs to call the cops first while she packs he leaves the room and runs into the office but rafferty isn't there Chalice picks up the phone and calls the operator, but gets a message from Jamie Lee Curtis that they can't complete the number as dialed. Chalice hangs up and goes back to the room, but Ellie is missing. He's about to leave when he sees four of the suited goons standing outside the motel room start walking towards him. Chalice climbs out of the bathroom window as they break through the front door. He runs through the town while, while cars race around looking for him. We see a white car drive into the factory and three men in suits lead Ellie into the building. At a payphone, Chalice tries calling the operator, but he gets the same message. He slumps down as one of the Silver Shamrock cars drives by. Chalice makes a run for the factory when the coast is clear and breaks through a back window. I just gotta say, good job for Tom Atkins for fucking, like, rolling on concrete, yeah. diving into fucking like shrubs and i mean dude realistically i don't know like he's probably a little bit older than me when he's filming this movie like now what i am now i couldn't do the shit that he did in this movie well now you know why he wears those giant shoulder pads <laughs> right <laughs> yep good call as chalice quietly makes his way through the factory dodging security cameras he finally ends up in a room where an old lady is sitting in a chair knitting. He asks her, where's the girl, but gets no response as, and just keeps on knitting. Chalice gets in her face and keeps asking her where she is until he finally shakes the old lady and her head falls off. <laughs> Chalice screams in horror, as one would do, and we see the old lady is mechanical. As he's looking at the machine, one of the suited guards sort of grabs Chalice from behind and throws him into another room full of packing material. Yeah, that this scene's great. It, it reminds me of a old uh, horror film called Deranged, with uh, which is basically the 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 story of Ed Gein. Mm. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's creepy as hell, like creepy as hell. 
Uh, actually, the guy in the Christine who wears that uh, brace on his body. Yeah. The cells. Uh, he is. I believe he's the guy who plays Ed Gein in Deranged. Okay. Uh, Deranged is creepy as hell. It's a little slow, slow burn, but it's but it's got a scene where there's an old woman sitting in a chair, and it's a it, it's not what you expect. And this reminded me of that scene. That that scene is one of the most terrifying scenes ever in a horror film for me. That's cool. Okay. All right. I'll Deranged. I'll add that into my watch list. Yeah. Check it out. And oh, by the way, real quick, um, the old man you're referring to in Christine, I believe, is the old man in Home Alone. Um, not it the, is. I'm not the biggest Home Alone fan, to be truthful with you, but I did recognize him. I hate Home Alone because it's a rich white family with a bunch of assholes living in there, and they abandon their kid. I don't give a fuck. Like, the premise is so stupid. And Kevin is, like, he's a brat. The, the remake, by the way, is even more infuriating. Oh, I'm sure. I, like, it's not. It's No, it's like a rich white family. D- don't give me that shit. Give me people in the stairs any old day. <laughs> That's the rich kind of white family we want to watch. <laughs> I will take Christmas Story over Home Alone any oh, day yeah. ever. Yeah, ever. No. no, Home Alone's not on my Christmas watch list ever. I, I watch Scrooged. I watch Muppets Christmas Carol. I watch, you know, Vacation, Christmas Vacation. But never Home Alone. Chalice and the guard fight until they're on the ground and the guard is squeezing his head. Chalice knees the guard off of him and rolls on top and starts landing body blows. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. Until he punches straight through the guard's stomach and pulls out mechanical wires and yellow goo. Said goo is also coming out from the the guard's mouth. Again, Chalice is absolutely horrified as he looks at this goo-covered hand. Just then, a robotic guard comes up from behind him and grabs him on the shoulders. At this point, Chalice loses all the fight he had in him, and he kind of slumps over. Like, he knows he's lost. The guard lifts Chalice to his feet as Cochran walks in with the old lady's fake head. He says, this was a rare piece. Ha-cha-cha-cha. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha. German, made in Munich, 1785. I must try and get a replacement. Chalice asks, where's Ellie? Cochran says that Mrs. Smith is resting. He knows it's a fake name. You can tell he knows it's a fake name. Yep. Cochran says, it'll be morning soon. Halloween morning. A very busy day for me. Being a medical man, you should find this quite interesting. A cha-cha-cha. Then... <laughs> Then he smiles at Chalice, and the two robot guards drag him out of the room. Cut to the next morning, and a title card says Sunday, the 31st, Halloween. We see Cochran and the two robot guards leading Chalice from the factory to the final processing room. Cochran, Chalice, and the two guards get in an elevator and start heading down. Cochran says, The surprising thing is the internal components were quite simple to produce. The outer features took longer to perfect, but in the end, it's just another form of mask making. Chalice looks at the two guards and one sneezes. Bless you. Convincing, aren't they? Loyal and obedient, unlike most human beings. A cha 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 cha. <laughs> oh. oh. Did you hear that? What was it? I just pulled the bead out of my butthole. <laughs> My butthole. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> oh, hold on a second. 
，一会儿说， Charles and Cochran get off the elevator and start walking down a flight of stairs. Cochran says, "Those who went before me, they never dreamed of anything like this." Chalice asks, "What is this place?" And he says, "Can't you tell? The vast, ancient technology." <laughs> A good magician never explains. Come on, then. You've still got time to figure it all out by yourself. This is my favorite set in the whole fucking movie. The camera yeah, pulls back. Not, no, not me too. But I, yes, I love it too. The camera pulls back to reveal a giant underground concrete laboratory. People in white lab coats are walking around, checking monitors, typing on keyboards, running tests on the masks, and chipping away at a huge piece of stone. Cochran says to Chalice, "An ancient sacrificial circle, Stonehenge. <laughs> we had a time getting it here. You wouldn't believe how we did it." And this is the shit that I love. I love just the way he says we had a time getting it here. And this is like, dude. And and seriously, what are your thoughts on this? We don't ever get an explanation on how they got this piece of Stonehenge there. But the fact that he says we had a time getting it here, you wouldn't believe how he did it. And the way he delivers it, that's all I need to know. I don't need because here's the thing: they show us anything, and it'll never be as good as the way he delivers it here. You don't need a whole lot. Just go with it. So you're okay with them not kind of answering that sort of thing? No. I mean, you know, today's audience is like, no, we're not getting enough explanation. Why? Like, no, just let it go. Just enjoy it, right? They got it. My next question to you is, are the lab coat technician guys robots too, or is it just the security guards? I think they're all robots. Okay. I think I'm leaning that way as well. Um, but actually, I would like to hear a consensus out there, guys and gals, listeners. Let us know what you think. Are the lab coats also robots, or is it just the uh, the security guard guys? Cochran leads Chalice mm. over to the table where men in lab coats are making the circuitry chips for the back of the silver shamrock plastic tabs. Cochran picks up a piece of stone and says, It has a power in it, a force, even a particle. He puts one of the silver shamrock tabs together, says "a cha cha cha," and <laughs> with some dusting on it, hands it over to one of the lab coats and says, "Test it." Cochran now leads Chalice over to another part of the laboratory where multiple monitors are in a circle around a control desk. Oh, doctor, you asked about the girl. He pushes a button and Chalice sees Ellie tied to a table on one of the monitors. He asks, "Where is she?" Cochran points past Chalice and says, "Right in there." Then he switches what's on the monitor, and we see a body on the table with a white sheet over it. Your friend, Mrs. Gutman. That's、uh, Marge. Chalice says, "You killed her." No, no, no. Mrs. Gutman was a victim of a misfire. Cochran checks his watch and says, "What you really need to see is a demonstration, and there's one coming right up." He switches the screen, and now we see a mock living room set inside a metal room with only one door and no windows. Cut to Buddy Comfort and his wife and kid being led by two men in suits, robots now,、uh, down a metal corridor and to the room into the room that we saw in the monitor. Little Buddy, the son, is holding his orange mask. Once in the room, one of the men gives Big Buddy a paper pad and a pencil, while his wife looks behind the curtains, only to reveal a metal wall. The two men in suits leave the room and lock the door. From the monitoring area, 
Cochran and Chalice can hear the Cupfers talking. Mrs. Cupfer says this is weird and little Buddy needs to go to the bathroom. Big Buddy says, relax, will you? Mr. Cochran just wants my opinion about some television commercials or something. You know, I still can't figure out why they won't take my orders for next year. You know I like to work ahead, and they're just not interested at all. His wife says, maybe they're not going to have Halloween next year. <laughs> kind of laughs at him. Yeah. In the control room, Cochran tells the men to roll the tape. Chalice watches which buttons the technicians push. This is the first time. This was the, the viewing where I was breaking it down. It was the first time I ever noticed that Chalice knew which buttons to push. I was always one of the things in the climax when he pushes all the buttons to make everything happen. And we'll get to it. Yeah. I, I was like, how do you know which ones to push? He fucking watches it right here. Yeah, because he's a doctor, damn it. I'm a doctor, damn it. In the mock living room, the TV turns on and the Silver Shamrock ad plays. But this one isn't a countdown. It's the big giveaway that the countdown commercials were building up to. Little Buddy sits in front of the TV and puts the mask on. Big Buddy is confused. This is just the same old stuff. As the TV tells them to watch the magic pumpkin flashing on the screen, Little Buddy starts grabbing at the mask and falls over in pain. The dad stands up in shock as bugs and snakes start pouring out of his son's out of his dead son's mouth and into the room. Chalice watches in horror from the control area as Big Buddy screams and tries to open the door and his wife faints. A rattlesnake comes out of the dead kid's head and bites Big Buddy on the leg and he goes down. Everyone in the room is dead and covered in bugs and snakes. Cochran and his team of robots lead a quiet chalice to another room. Fade to black. So we have to discuss this. This scene is iconic. What is your as far as kills go? Where does this one land for you? Not as high as it used to. I used to really like the scene, but now watching it, I'm like, nah, I don't know. The crickets coming out of the out of his head are not as scary as I thought they used to be. When I realized, because I used to think it was cockroaches for some reason, my mind like wrapped it around it. They were more disgusting, but they're just crickets. And I'm like, it's kind of weird. Um, you know, and I'm like, well, they kind of used things that were easy, probably yeah. right. Easy to control. Um, yeah, it, it's okay. It's not as, it's not as, I think hit, hit the, the mask melting it's initially is what's the most powerful to me. Yeah. It's not the snakes and everything that come out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's intense because a little kid dies. You rarely see little kids get killed on screen. So there you go. And then also uh, Tom Atkins reaction is like he's putting his hands up in the air like oh, like he's so furious, you know, to see these people die. The, the people that almost hit him with their car <laughs> yeah. and, and the kid that flipped him off or flipped off the parents, you know, like little shit kid. I mean, I get it. He's a compassionate guy. He loves everybody. Um yeah, it doesn't rank up there as much as the other scenes do for me. It's more just like, okay, let's get to the good shit. Yeah. No, you 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 mentioned you bring that up and and I think I feel the same. I didn't even think about that. I think this scene had more of an impact for me maybe when I was closer to the age of the kid. Yeah. Right? Same. Um but at the same time like you said, it's cool. <laughs> You, yeah. Come on, guys and guys, we all get it. But it's cool to see a fucking 12-year-old kid die. And we get it, he's a piece of shit. Like, the movie fucking does a great job of showing us he's a piece of shit, so it's okay. But, man, I feel like these days don't exist anymore. You know, listen to our uh, review of the remake of The Blob. And that kid fucking getting blobified in the fucking sewers. 
fucking traumatized me because I was exactly that kid's age. And I was like, you mean I can die horribly too? <laughs> you know, like what a horrible way to die. And this kid arguably dies fucking horribly. I think it would have been more impactful if the kid wasn't such a shit. Right? Yeah, no, actually, it's a great fucking point. Like, I know that the movie, I feel like the movie's like, let's make this kid a shit so it's not as bad. But I think you're right. I think it actually would be more powerful if this, if he was a good kid and that family was kind of like a nice family. Make him a cancer kid. Oh, like, it, and oh, God, you mean it's like a... Uh, it's a make-a-wish. Oh, my that he won, God. That he won the tour. Oh, my That he God. won the tour to get... He, 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 not won, but he was a make-a-wish <laughs> to visit the tour because he loves Halloween so much. <laughs> I, love, I love how you're like, not won. That's, that's all. You know what I mean, though. Yeah, no. he didn't win anything. But no, that's really good. I actually... That's even better, dude. Like, like, and then I, the mom, the mom has like maybe she has crutches. No, nah, no, nah, we're you now know. we're going too far. Let's just keep the kid as, as no, a okay, cancer okay. patient, winning a Make a Wish Foundation thing, and he goes to the fuck. He wants to just go to the Silver Shamrock thing, dude. That is perfect. It's morbid. It's twisted. That's a good one, bro. And then and then Chal- Chalice is like uh, Chalice is like. Uh, you know, sees that the kid gets a mask and then he, he realizes he's like, he's like, now I realize how cool it is that my kids have those masks too. Now, you know, the magic of Halloween, I should have got him those masks. I'm glad, I'm glad my wife didn't like, he starts to have a change of heart and then he sees what happens more impactful that he wants to get home to them. Bro, I am picking up what you're putting down, my friend. Flawless victory. (laughs) You You know what else I'm picking up? I love me a nice little montage right in the right in like the last 15 minutes of the movie, too. I love this part. Me, too. So we get a little montage here, like I said, uh, fade in on the Silver Shamrock ad playing on TVs around the country. And kids are trick or treating with the Silver Shamrock masks on. And I'm happy that we also see other costumes in the mix. And it's not all just Silver Shamrock masks. Yeah, me, too. And, And just just to point it out. Baton Rouge, Louisiana is not Pasadena. Yeah. I, I, I paused it because I have been to actually been to Baton Rouge and everything. Same. And I was like, yeah, it's Pasadena. You just found, I feel like they found one place that had one tree that kind of looked like a weeping willow. And they just were like, oh, we can use that. That's that's Baton Rouge. That's fine. I, I'm okay with it, though. Anytime <laughs> I see, I love Pasadena. So anytime I see Pasadena, I'm like, yep, that's cool. Yeah. No, I got, I got no beef. I got no beef at all. Um, but we do see Dayton, Ohio. New York, Omaha, Baton Rouge, Los Angeles, and Seattle. Um, and we see, and then we see in Seattle because we also see like little title cards, you know. In Seattle, we see a white silver shamrock van with speakers on it driving through the neighborhood, telling kids to hurry home for the big giveaway. So, you know, I think that implies that they're everywhere, right? So this is like a national yeah. thing. Um, we see uh, we see Chalice's kids sitting in front of their TV set wearing their masks and watching the Silver Shamrock ad. Fade to black as kids uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, run home. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's cool. So, again, like I said at the beginning of this, really the biggest conceit that this movie makes is that Halloween, if there's no time zones, and Halloween is all ending or, or this horror... More, more so, this horror marathon is ending at the same time all over the nation. So that means some places are ending at 3 a.m., some places are ending at midnight, some places are ending at you know nine o'clock, whatever, you know. Yeah. And that's and you know what, 
I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, this movie is so much fun from beginning to end, T to B. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit that they don't take into account time zones. Do you? What are your? What's your thoughts here, man? I, no, I'm okay with it. But at this point, like, like it's too late on the East Coast. What are they staying up till midnight? Is what you're saying? I, I guess so. Because then what would it be like? You know, or I think that the countdown on his watch is like nine o'clock. So yeah, then that means if all of this is happening at the exact same time, then this horror marathon is ending in New York at midnight. Which that's cool. It's a Sunday night though. That's true. So kids would probably not watch. Not as many kids would watch it. Well, not as many kids on the East Coast will die, but chippy chippy chippy. Cut chim chimery. Chim chimery. Chim chimery. Cut to Teddy calling Chalice at the motel from the coroner's office. She's looking at burnt gears and ash. She calls her boss and wakes him up. Oh, sorry. Uh, he, she didn't get any reply when she called the motel. Uh, she wakes her boss up and says, uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think this is a car part at all. He says he'll look into it tomorrow. In the background, we see one of Cochrane's suited robots appear in the doorway. Teddy hangs up the phone. The robot grabs a big-ass drill from the drawer and quietly walks over to Teddy. She's too enthralled by the gears to notice. Just then, she realizes what she's looking at and says, Oh, my God. My God, man, that's a, that's a man. That's a man, baby. Uh, there's a penis that's, in there. It's a penis. That's a, she starts that's holding a the robotic penis. Robotic cock. It's a robotic cock. Teddy picks up the phone to call the sheriff, but the robot hangs up the phone and grabs her and drags her to the ground. He then grabs the big ass drill and drills it into her head, killing her. Man, first off, I didn't want to see Teddy die, but this kill is fucking brutal, and you don't see it, and I think that's what makes it more brutal. Like, you see part of her, you see her legs kick and twitch, yeah. and then nothing, and that's what makes it fucking brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, when he picks up the drill, it looks like it's missing <clears throat> it looks like it's missing the battery pack. It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably should have shot it from a different angle. And, and, uh, and why and does then, he even bother putting it down? Because he just picks it right back up again. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, like, what does she discover? You know, she she does go like, oh, my God. But it would have been nice if, like, I don't know, she found a silver shamrock, like, little microchip with the shamrock logo on yeah. it or something like that would have been kind of cool yeah we don't actually know why or what it is that kind of tipped it off you know but yeah yeah i feel like you you just need a little bit more i know people can like make up their own it's obvious that she discovered that it's it's a man robot robot man robot but, man robot man man robot from full moon entertainment man <laughs> robot man alive there men alive in here uh, Starring Tim Thomerson and Barbara Crampton and uh, Linnea Quigley and Jeffrey Combs and every other B-movie actor that we love. What were we watching that dropped a Tim Thomerson? Oh, it was Werewolf. Fucking Werewolf. Pilot of Were- Werewolf dropped a Tim Thomerson reference. That was you wild. I love me some Tim. Timmy T. Of course. Gotta listen, to our, look at our, listen to our Scanners uh, review. T.T. Boy. Aaron right now is going, oh, did you just make a T.T. Boy reference? Yes, I did. I, T.T. Boy I, I know who T.T. Boy is. He was, I, know, I know what you're talking about. Cut to Santa Mira, Main Street, and a title card says 7.30 p.m. Chalice is in a room strapped to a chair with a TV next to him. 
Cochran tells Chalice to enjoy the horathon on TV, and don't forget to watch the big giveaway after. <laughs> Chalice asks why. Cochran says, do I need a reason? Mr. Comfer was right, you know. I do love a good joke. And this is the best ever. A joke on the children. Cochran goes on, but there's a better reason. You don't really know much about Halloween. You've thought no further than the strange custom of having your children wear masks and go out begging for candy. By the way, man, the facial expressions he's fucking doing here is in the way he's delivering. So good. God, I could just watch him watch him forever. God, I could just watch his mouth move ah, rah, all rah. night long. <laughs> <laughs> it was the start of the year in our old Celtic lands, and we'd be waiting in our houses of waddles and clay. The barriers would be down, you see, between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking to sit by our fires of turf. Halloween, the festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago, when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. Chalice says, sacrifices. Cochrane says, it was part of our world, our craft. Chalice says, witchcraft. Ha! <sighs> Cochrane continues, To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment, and it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And also, too, like what he's talking about witchcraft and how they use it to control, like it's just... This movie does a lot of things right when it comes to the things that it's talking about. And I, I say that with very, ultimately very limited knowledge of, of occult stuff that I've, that I've read. People know much more than me. But this movie, with the stuff that they're talking about, especially Cochran, that, this kind of stuff, that it feels and seems very planned out, very thoughtfully researched and everything, you know? Yeah, I agreed. Yep. Cochran puts the mask on Chalice and turns the TV to the horathon where Halloween is playing. He looks back and says menacingly, and that be Halloween, as he leaves the room and closes the door. Dr. Chalice struggles against his bonds while Cochran and, and his lab coats watch uh, watches on the monitor. Cochran walks away, and the lab coat works on an, on other things. And by the way, when I say lab coat, it's all the technician guys because I don't know if yeah. they're like we said. I don't know if they're robots or not. I, I I agree with you, but I just refer to them as lab coats. I feel like they all get shorted out. Well, we'll find in a minute. Yeah, and I and I think you're right about that. Yeah. So the lab coat is working on other things, so they don't see Chalice hop over in his chair and kick out the TV. By the way, that TV is way too easily broken. Chalice takes a piece of glass from the TV and cuts the straps, trying tying his hands down. He reaches up and takes the mask off, then flings it on the security camera, blocking its view. Zach, nice do you, job. Do you think you would have made that shot? shot? Nope, because I I'm left-handed and I'm a terrible I'm terrible. Like there's that scene uh, where um, what is it? Pump fake draws the foul mm-hmm. and with in Fletch. Mm-hmm. That would be, I'd be missing every. I would be Wingshauser in um, Deadly Force. I, I brick every time. I brick every fucking 
time. <laughs> I will never get a, he's on fire from NBA jams. <laughs> right. I will never get, I'll get a brick. Yeah. And the thing is like, and I love basketball and I'm pissed about that. You wish you could have played blame my family. Bad genes. And the thing is, dude, he's still strapped down to the chair. It's just his hands that are done, but, like, his arms are still strapped, so he flings it without, like, moving. It's all in the wrist. He probably was a great Frisbee player because it's, like, all in the wrist. Or a chronic masturbator. Ha-cha-cha-cha. Ha-cha-cha-cha. Chalice takes a... Or a champion card slicer. Have you seen that dude that throws the playing cards? And he can, like... Fucking slash things in half with a playing card. So you're, is he? A, he's a real life gambit from the X Men. Yep. If you go on YouTube and type in Mark Rober, who's like the basically the cool version of Mister Wizard nowadays. My son loves him. Uh, Bodie loves him. Uh, Mark Rober made this card shooting thing where he basically challenges the guy. This guy's a uh, Guinness World Record. He can slice a grape in half from like ten feet away. I mean, Great. That, that dude's like a ninja, bro. <laughs> He's a fucking ninja. This guy is amazing. And he can, and he actually is faster than the card shooter that this scientist creates. That's cool. That's cool. It's amazing. He can shatter a glass in half with a card. Probably around <laughs> when I was maybe 12 or 13, me and Luke got into this phase where we were playing, we were playing Gambit and we basically got like the blockbuster card and all this kind of stuff. And like we're just whipping them at the wall and they were just like sticking into the wall, my mom's wall. And like, like, you know, her like living room wall had like holes in it because we were just chucking fucking cards and sticking them in there. And then I wonder why I got a fucking fucking mallet thrown at me running up the stairs, you know, I was like, I, I was, I was a fucking evil kid, a little kid. I was bored, man. I was just bored. It's all it was. You know what I mean? We, we, I never, like, I didn't do, like, too dry. Obviously, I was too young then, but I never got into, like, serious mischief. This was, like, shenanigans. I, it was just shenanigans. Shenanigans. Just, just, my mom had to probably spackle those fucking walls, though. Yeah. Um, and then probably scrub them, too. Probably. Ew. Uh, a lab coat sees the mask hanging over the camera and goes to tell Cochran, but he's still, but he's on the phone. The lab coat waits patiently for him to be off the phone. And I think that's also an illustration that the lab guys are robots because he doesn't try to like break in. And earlier, uh, Cochran says how, how loyal and obedient they are. Yeah. And, he, and also too, I think the mask on the, on the, um, camera is like a little bit of an homage to Halloween point of view shot. Right. Cause you can, you can see through its, its eyes or whatever. It's yeah. just my own theory. Yeah. I think you're right. This gives Chalice time to escape the room through a large vent on the wall. By the time the lab coat tells Cochran about the escape, Chalice is already making his way across the roof of, roof of the factory, then eventually back inside a, a you know, big package storage room. Chalice sneaks around, dodging patrolling guards, then eventually finds a phone and calls his ex-wife. You can hear her yelling at him immediately, and he whispers, shh, shut up. Just in my head, I'm always like, I know. shut up, like, shh, I know shut up bitch. Shh, bitch, shut up, bitch, shut up. I mean, it's essentially what he's saying to her, though. No, He's like, shut up, shut up. Shut, shut up, shut up. Listen, listen, you have to get rid of the mask. Shut up, shut up, bitch. And they kill Buddy Comfort and his whole wife. No, I'm not, I'm not drunk. It's just, it's funny. I love it. Uh, cut to the lab coat telling Cochran they lost Chalice, but Cochran says, no, they didn't. Back on the phone, Chalice is desperately pleading for his ex to get rid of the masks, but she tells him to go to hell, hangs up on him. Just then, he hears guards approaching and runs off. Chalice eventually finds the room Ellie is in, and he unstraps her from the table. 
Cochran sees this on the monitor and tells his people South Corridor. Acha-cha-cha. It never gets old. No, it doesn't. <laughs> You're like, I know. And we see the security team of robots mobilized to intercept Chalice. Ellie and Chalice make it out of the room and dodge the guards by hiding behind boxes of silver shamrock pins with the chips in them. While Cochran and his team of robot goons and lab coats are looking the other way, Chalice sneaks up to the broadcast control area and hits the same buttons he saw the guy press earlier during the test. Again, I've seen this movie probably about 10 times, and this is the first time I picked up on that. The Silver Shamrock giveaway video starts playing on all the monitors around the underground laboratory. Chalice runs back to where Ellie is waiting by the boxes of Silver Shamrock pins and grabs it. Cochran watches them as they run up a flight of stairs to the catwalk above. We see a handful of robot goons go up the stairs after them. Chalice is on the catwalk right over the control area for the broadcast. He opens the box of pins and rains them down all over the lab coats. The pins. Love that. Uh, me too. The pins all explode while the magic pumpkin image is on the screen, killing or shorting out the lab coats and also shutting down the robots. Cochran looks around in disbelief. At this point, he's standing between the Stonehenge, Stonehenge rock and the control area where the TV monitors are playing the video. He slowly turns around and looks up at Chalice and Ellie in the catwalk. Stonehenge starts glowing and the TV monitors create a circle of light. Cochran looks at Ellie and Chalice, smiles and claps at them. Just then, a ray of light simultaneously shoots out of Stonehenge and the monitor, and it goes right into Cochrane. Cochrane glows and turns into, um, I'm gonna, we're going to discuss, and turns into a pillar of salt, question mark? Then he fades away as the lab explodes, destroying all the masks. One, I love as a villain when you've been, you know, it's, it's over. I love the fact that he fucking looks up, does that little smile and that yeah. little clap like bravo. But Zach, what does Cochran turn into? What is that supposed to be? I think, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's like a, it's a good question. He like, in like a big ball of light basically. And then, uh, yeah. What is, yeah. Like, I think he's just, like, f being filled with all this laser energy, and it just, like, zaps him into nothing. Your guess is as good as mine? I guess. I, 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 this scene kind of works and kind of doesn't because, for example, like, you know, the lab coats are, all get blasted in the face, and then they all die, right? And that tracks. But then the security guards, you don't see anything blast them, and they just, like, drop to the ground. Just because and, the controls for them are destroyed. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I get, I'm with you. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's a little bit like, okay, well, you get a pass, but still it's a little hokey. And, yeah, it's interesting that, like, Cochran is he's, – he's clearly the leader, and, and that the energy source is, like, zapping into him. But – it's a little like I don't know what happens to him. Yeah, because also too like they do some kind of mannequin thing where his face is like white. You can tell it's not the actor. 
you know, and I almost wish maybe you didn't, we didn't even see that shot and he just, you know, exploded or something. It's a weird looking thing, though. It looks like the inflatable guy from Airplane, the inflatable yeah. pilot. The, the co- yeah, the autopilot or whatever. Or the yeah. autopilot. Yeah, yeah. So weird. Yeah, guys and gals out there listening, throw out your theories on, on what this is, what happens to Cochran. I don't hate it. But I do think if I didn't love the actor who played uh, uh, Connell Cochran, this would probably fall a little bit more flat. But because he's so much fun constantly, I give this a pass. But I, in my heart of hearts, I don't understand it. I go with salt only because that just feels old and biblical, you know, pillars of salt and you put salt around a circle. And so I don't know. Salt just feels right to me, but it it doesn't feel like I don't really truly believe that's what they're trying to portray. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll give you that. But also, too, like if if this was supposed to zap all the controls, then why is Ellie uh, still walking around that's that's a very very good point as well i don't have a problem with it i'm just like it's a little bit like these these are just little nuts that could have been tightened up yeah yeah and again you're i'm with you i don't have a problem with any of them but uh yeah you mentioned ellie so we see ellie and chalice run from the burning factory get back into their car at the motel and drive out of town As they're driving through the back roads, Chalice is checking the radio and hears the Silver Shamrock commercial playing. He says, we got to do something. We got to call somebody. When Ellie doesn't answer, he asks if she's okay. She grabs his jaw and his head and starts yanking, but Chalice crashes the car into a tree. Real quick, I like the fact that all these robots, they go for just like the kill. She's not trying to strangle him. She's like just trying to rip his head off in the car. And again, this reminds me of Phantasm 2 when uh, Reggie's girlfriend uh, that he picks up, the, the, the hitchhiker, is been turned into the tall man or a variation of the tall man. Like she's now, yeah, it's very interesting. Isn't, didn't he discover because like like her hair moves aside and you can see all like the wound or whatever? Well, no, he's like, he's like playing with her hair and then all of a sudden pulls like a chunk Ugh. of her hair out of her head. Yeah. <laughs> and she smiles and... And it's the tall man. Yeah. I, I, this is just a dream. No, it's not. I remember so that. Good. I remember that, dude. God, I fucking love that. It's such a great ending because you're like, no, this is not how it's supposed to. It's so dark. Bro. We, we, In a good way. We got we to get to Phantasm soon, man. We, we Phantasm 2, yo. Phantasm 1 and 2 for me. But anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Continue. Okay. Chalice rolls out of the driver's seat and looks back in the car, but only sees Ellie's robotic arm still stuck in the passenger door. Just then, Robo Ellie pops up from behind and tries to strangle him with her one good arm. And I, I, I write, I wrote that, and then I had to write the tombstone, re- tombstone reference. I still have one good arm to hold you with. Corey is like so proud of himself. He's uh, so happy right now. Uh, yeah. He's so happy. He's got a big old fucking smile on his face. <laughs> Take it in. <laughs> I feel this. I feel the same way. Uh, uh, last week when I made a Key West reference, and you and Diallo sat there staring at me blankly. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, Key West, the TV show with Fisher Stevens, is the one I was referencing. Uh, anybody out there knows it? Just let me know. Clearly, I'm the only one. Uh, Chalice grabs a tire iron and knocks her head off. He thinks it's done, and he goes back to the car, but her other arm, the one still attached to the door, grabs him by the throat, but he survives that attack, too. 
Chalice checks his watch and it's almost 9 p.m. Just then, Robo, Robo Ellie's headless body attacks him from behind, but it kind of just falls to the ground, grabbing at his crotch. And I was like, uh, one last handsy before shutting down? And also, her severed head is looking at her, at her ass. I, I know, it is, it is. It, this scene is so this scene on one level could be super laughable and another level it's just purely enjoyable because it's like it doesn't give up it keeps going it keeps going it's it's like the yeah it's it's great because it's funny as hell but but also shocking at the same time so there's a debate that is Ellie a robot the entire time? I say no. clearly not because no. she talks and acts normal the entire She clearly acts very different the moment he comes and, and grabs her. She doesn't say a single thing. And well, I, she's on the operating table. I, exactly. So she got fixed. I, I think I, I I think that she was human up until they took her and I think now Ellie's dead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, I there, don't. Even, there's no debate. Yeah. I don't even see why there is a debate there. Like it's pretty yeah. obvious. I think. Because people love to debate. They do. The master debaters. That's right. Chalice goes running into the darkness. He runs into. The, so why didn't he just get back in the car? Well, he, he was crashed, I guess. But he was going to get back in the car to drive off. That's good point. Good point. You're 100 correct there. I got nothing. Can't defend it. Oh, Chalice. He's because he's shocked. He's shocked. So he goes running into the darkness and finds himself at the same gas station from the beginning of the movie. With... He's running into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of is. <laughs> Just off into the darkness. <laughs> and I going to save the kids I don't care about. And by the way, I like how this is kind of like it comes full circle. And he's now the old guy running to the same fucking gas station. By the way. That, I love it too. That gas station attendant's like, what the fuck? fuck is happening you fucking white people <laughs> you white people because <laughs> as chalice runs past him he's like gasping he's like your phone it's a matter of life and death he goes running into the gas station where the giveaway is playing on tv chalice is on the phone saying if it goes on it means the death of millions of people everyone watching don't you understand well say it's a bomb then say whatever you like just get it off the air the attendant is watching him. <laughs> like, like, he's like, what the fuck is this guy doing? White people. Uh, <laughs> when a car a car pulls up to the gas station, kids wearing the silver shamrock mask get out of the car, and the attendant gives them candy. Chalice is still yelling on the phone, no, I can't prove it. You got to believe me. Take it off the air now, please. You've got to. The kids walk over to the TV and watch it. Just then, the feed cuts out, and we hear an announcer say we have they have technical to. They are having technical difficulties. One of the kids changes the channel, and the ad is playing there, but then the feed cuts as well. The kid changes the channel again, and the ad is still running. Chalice says into the phone, the third commercial is still on. Please, take it off the third channel. It's running. Please, for God's sake, stop it. There's no more time. We see the magic pumpkin appear on screen. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Credits. So, Zach, did they stop it or not? Oh, I know. what. Like, it's it, classic Carpenter ending. We talk a lot about classic Carpenter endings on our Patreon exclusive Carpenter Factor. Um, 
yeah, I want to say yes because I'm an optimist, but I'm going to probably assume a, a lot of people didn't. A lot of people, no, I'm going to assume that uh, for most likely a bunch of people died, including Chalice, because he was there in the room with the. And, you know, it, it, according to the way the thing works, the people wearing the mask die and the people around him get zapped too. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think maybe. A small part part of the population did get wiped out because of it. I, like, you know, if there were three channels playing it, then probably only a third of the amount of people they were intending. But I don't know, man. I, I kind of I feel like that's I think that's how it went down at the end. You know, I think yeah. he, he saved as many people as he could. Maybe he saved his kids. But I think that third channel did some damage to the world. Cochran got his trick and not his treat. And he said. Ha cha 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 cha. Oh, buddy. So, is this one? Uh, is this one hold up? Oh yeah, it's so much fun. the The ending is so great. It's so great. The ending is one of the best scenes in the movie, in my opinion, where he's pleading for the stations to turn off. Who he's talking to, it doesn't matter. Again, that's another thing too. It's like who's he talking to? It doesn't matter. It's 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 the intensity of the scene. It's it's so fantastic. I love it. I could watch that scene over and over again all day long. Uh, yeah, it's so much fun. It, is it flawed? Yes. Is it silly at times? Yes. But is it a lot of fun? Oh, to quote Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, hell yeah. And is it <laughs> is it unique as hell, too? Like, as far as oh, yeah, stories totally. go, it's, this is one of the more unique horror movies. And I think maybe that's also a reason it stands the test of time as well is this yeah we haven't seen this story done to death you know a million times over this is a very interesting and different and of its time i don't think you could do the exact same thing you'd have to somehow figure out like web stuff and you know instagram like it'd have to be playing everywhere but for the time that this movie inhabited when it was when it was made it's very much a product of its time and it's very unique in that regard yeah, someone on Twitter said, you know, Cochran couldn't get the numbers that he got back then because of uh, streaming services yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's true. Yeah. You know, he would have to cut into just feeds across the America. Um, I feel like somebody did something with a phone. Wasn't there a terrible movie with a phone that was sending a signal through the phone? Oh, yeah. I think it was. Oh, wait, no. Not a terrible movie. The the movie The Signal. I, I was gonna say this. I think it's called. I think it's called The Signal, and I think you like it. I like that movie. Uh, actually, that movie does it right. Yeah. That movie does it brilliantly. But that but that's a totally different premise. If you've never seen The Signal, I gave it a shout out on our last episode and uh, the guest, the last breakdown, the guest. I will give it a shout out again. Go check out The Signal from like 2001, I yeah. think it is. Not um, not the 2014 version one or whatever. No, this it was. one is like Magnet Films, yeah. I think. It's an indie release. Yeah. Uh, really cool. It t- does the whole Tarantino pulp fiction angle where it's like three stories at once and they all kind of connect at the end. Um, or two stories. Anyways, because it's been a while since I've seen it. But The Signal's great. It takes the premise of like, yeah, this weird signal that gets broadcast all all across America and it turns people into homicidal maniacs, whoever is listening to that signal at the time. Have you ever seen a movie called Pontypool? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's kind of a similar premise. Right, it's like a zombie movie, but you don't get infected by bites. It's like you're infected by a thought process. It's it's. Yeah. It's really different and cool, but like I'm with you, Canadian man. Like horror. I would put like like this movie, uh, you know, Season of the Witch, 
Pontypool, The Signal, and these like unique horror films that are just telling this unique story that we don't see in like any other way. Meaning like we've seen a million different flat slasher movies, obviously, but we have only seen Season of the Witch like once. We've only seen The Signal like once, you know, and Pontypool. I like these unique micro horror movies, you know? Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I'm so glad we broke Halloween 3 down because mm-hmm. it needs needed to be done exactly so if you haven't listened to our guest episode that was zach's uh halloween pick and uh, if you know both movies you know why they are connected now and this was a lot of fun we hope you guys have an absolute great halloween we hope you have a blast this halloween hope everyone stays safe um zach do you have anything special going on in two dollar late fee uh for to wrap up the month with we do. We do. Currently, um, we have a really cool thir- we, we did we did two 35th anniversary episodes this month for two dollar late fee. We did a 35th anniversary episode of three o'clock high with the director, Phil Juanu, uh, and Jim Walker, who did the music, the opening track to the movie. And Richard Tyson makes a surprise appearance on the show as well. Nice. Um, so it's a extensive, almost two hour interview that we did with those three, mostly Phil Juwanu. So much fun. Uh, if you're a fan of three o'clock high, you got to check out that interview. And then, um, Andre Gower who played Sean in the monster squad. Uh, he joined us, Ryan Lambert, who plays Rudy was supposed to, but unfortunately he couldn't make, unfortunately he couldn't make it to the show. So Sean joined us or. So Andre joined us and um, didn't do a Monster Squad trip down memory lane because we did an extensive interview with him a couple of years back, which you guys should check out. But uh, he definitely talked about some a major thing that happened to him last year and what he's been up to since then. So check that one out. That one's dropping uh, Halloween Eve. Nice. Halloween Eve. Yeah, he 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 actually there's some, he tells some funny stories about the from the '80s, uh, and then some really interesting shit that's happened to him in the past year. So go check that out on two dollar late fee. Nice, nice. How about Cartwright? Cartwright. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Phil Juano. We talk a little bit about Philip Baker Hall from Seinfeld. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Fucking and that Bookman. his character on Seinfeld would probably not have happened if it wasn't for three o'clock high. Oh, no shit. Okay. That's really fucking cool. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. Bookman, dude. It's one of the most famous ones ever. Uh, there's no Halloween episode of Seinfeld that we're plugging uh, this, this week, this month. Uh, but Adam and I are almost done with the series and we're still working on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And Adam is coming up to visit next month and we are going to record the Cartwright series finale face to face. We'll probably be drunk, so it'll be a good time. It'll be a lot of fun. And, of course, uh, Zach and I are recording in 12 hours. I'll be talking to Zach again uh, about Christine for this month's episode of The Carpenter Factor. And as we've mentioned before, uh, we don't break down every movie uh, in that. But what we do is we look at each film and how they connect to John Carpenter's greater catalog. And do they feel like Carpenter movies and everything? And like I said, spoiler alert. Season of the Witch feels much more like a Carpenter film than Christine, but we will dive into that and we will dissect that. And we hope everyone checks out the Carpenter factor on Patreon. Yeah. I will say really quickly, just a tease. It's a unique. Christine is a very unique uh, Carpenter film. 
for many reasons. I have a lot of thoughts. Me too, and I'm looking forward to hearing them. But as always... Oh, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la.